This episode brought to you by the following patrons. Shining Donut 911, Nathan, Jennifer with a PH, Joey, Sneaky Snake, Wes, Dreskel, Kaylee, Aaron, Danielle, Jeff, Amy, Tia, Matthew, Dave, Jonathan, Scott, Kate, Isaac, Karoon, Eddie, and Nick B. But because it's that special time of the month, we also are going to shout out our You Can Get It level patrons, and they are... The Rusty Lion, another <laughs> Ashley, Mr. Rage Bomb, Logan, Galloping Gigolo, I'm not even making these up, Dominic, Jamie, Riley, Alex, Dr. Dan Chalice, Max, Shayna, Libby, Tiara, Emilio, Justine, Bishop, Drake, Ali, Dr. Voorhees, MD, I don't know why he needs the two qualifiers that he's a doctor, but Priscilla, Matt, Tiffany, Megan, Amelia, Brandy, Lisa, Courtney, AJ, Gwen, Rickety Cricket, Lisa, Jessica, Kristen, Irene, Rebecca, Awesome Possum Blossom, Laura, Rich Homie Juan, Little Irish Jen, Ashley, Richie, Alexander, Lauren, Daisy, Alisa, Jennifer, not with a PH, and Michelle. And all the patrons want you to know you're loved, you're listened to, and you're a valuable member of this awesome Horror Virgin community. And if you want to hang out with us, please do so in the Facebook group and or Discord servers where we hang out and chat daily. I went for a walk with a girl this week. You know what's cool? We have like cool like banter chemistry. You know how that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like easy to talk to. It was was supposed to snow here. And I was like, oh, have you ever seen The Thing? That's like my favorite like horror movie. And so like last night she like went out for like two drinks with a friend. And so she calls me at like eight, eight o'clock and she's like, do you want to watch The Thing tonight? Are you doing anything? I was like, I guess. So she comes over and proceeds to talk the whole time and shit on The Thing from start to finish. What? And shit on like all of my life she's like oh nice fake fireplace and i was like i really like that fake fireplace no no no. you you lost me at shit on the thing fuck you like i don't care if you think Uh. my life is shitty how dare you say bad things about kurt russell (laughs) then she tried to kept teaching macy how to jump over the gate in her room and i was like stop i was like please stop so you went on a date with the Joker and then invited her over to your house. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, I'm not really looking to like date. Like, can we, is it possible that we can be friends? And I was like, yeah, it's real possible. Like, let's not worry about that tension. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning into Horror Virgin. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your Horror Virgin Todd, which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys make me watch them. And this week, we decided we were going to watch Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. It's our 200th episode. Yes. I can't believe we yes. made it 200 episodes. That's, That's so many. It is so many. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. And well, and I know we've all seen this before. So, like, do you even remember the first time you saw this movie? I had to be four or five. I was like very young. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I, I saw the second one in theaters as like a toddler. That's how much I loved Ghostbusters by the time the sequel came out, which was like 89, 91, 90. I, I think it was 89. Uh, I may be wrong about that, though. So but I was like six. No, five. Yeah. I didn't even see Ghostbusters 2 in the theaters. I was too young. Yeah, I did not see this in theaters. I've actually never seen a sequel. I have never seen a Ghostbusters sequel. You haven't seen Afterlife? Nope. You haven't seen Ghostbusters 2? Nope. <laughs> Ghostbusters 2, you might like more. Ghostbusters 2 is off the rails, and I love it. I struggle with this movie because I know it's good. Like, I know it's good. It's paced well. It's made well. It's written well. All the performances are great. It is a classic. 
I just have no emotional attachment to it as a movie. And I feel the same as about Back to the Future as well. Wow, where I'm okay. like, I also oh, wow. know this is great. I understand why other people love it. Like that love is valid and deserved a hundred percent. I it just does nothing for me where I'm just like, yeah, I recognize this is good, but like, yeah, I'm good. I saw the one. I'm I'm fine. That's why I think you'll write the second one because it's like this, but like not well written paced. Or, uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe. Like, that, 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 to be honest, that might actually help me a bit. Like Ghostbusters one rides that line of like, oh, it's like a very silly concept. And like you have a couple yes. of people who make jokes, but you really it's just about like very serious characters reacting. Well, and I think that's kind of why it does well, because it takes a, a bonkers concept, but it takes it seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's as successful as it is. Ghostbusters two takes itself less seriously. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I guess maybe I'll have to eventually watch it. I honestly can't believe you haven't. Oh, I like it less, but some people who like Ghostbusters less are like, I love Ghostbusters 2 so much more. I don't know. Maybe. I I was trying to think of like, what are the movies that I like as much as Mikey likes this movie? And I think for me, it's like Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones. There's just properties that like shaped my childhood that I watched over and over again. For me, it's like Indiana Jones, Princess Bride. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Terminator. Like, I was thinking about I was like, what are the movies that like, if you gave me a choice, Ghostbusters or this, like I one of them can no longer exist on the earth. What are the movies that I would absolutely be like, for me, this has to exist. And it was like Princess Bride, Indiana Jones, Terminator. But I feel like for a lot of people, Ghostbusters is that movie that like, even when it's on TV and you've seen it a million times, you're going to stop and watch it. Yeah. My childhood was Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Star Wars. Same. That's true. Star Wars for me as well. Yeah. So Paige, when was the first time you saw Ghostbusters then? It can't be today, right? No, of course not. No, 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 no. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I, like you guys, don't remember the first time. It was watched through my childhood, even yeah. in a house where ghosts and witch. Craft was like not welcome. This movie breaks through. <laughs> I feel like back back in this time period, like the late eighties, nineties, where they would take franchises, even rated our franchises, and like like there'd be the toys, there'd be the cartoons. Like I like watched all the Ghostbuster cartoons. All the, like, I had all the Terminator toys. Like, they used to do weird stuff back when we were kids. I mean, more fun stuff. I haven't seen a Back to the Future sequel either that I could think of. I think I must have seen part of part three, because that's the train one. Yes. Yeah. Paige. No, I've definitely seen part two, because part two has the almanac. The almanac is two. The almanac is two. You've seen all of them. So I've seen all of them. I just don't (laughs) care. I, I like, I maybe have seen them once, and, and I get that it's good. I get that people love it. I just don't care. I feel bad. As you like like movies more you'll realize that back to the future one is really really good and the sequels are not as good well yeah they took like five years to write the script to the first back to the future that this is a whole different conversation we're just like do you guys remember the 80s like the <laughs> yeah, episode. <that's> <laughs> but i know i've never seen a ghostbuster sequel and I just have no motivation to do so. That's wild. The first Ghostbusters movie I ever saw was Ghostbusters 2. I saw it very, very young. And that one didn't really scare me all that much. But this one, when I was a kid, like a child-ass child, like six years mm-hmm. old, the library yeah. scene where you see the ghost and she like turns into like a... The library scene is scary. Yeah, when she turns into like an actual like monster instead of just like the lady who's like the librarian shushing them. Yeah. That scared the shit out of me when I was like, I don't know, five or six when I first saw it. Yeah, and back in the day... 
Our parents were like, this is children's entertainment. We're I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad was like, you'll love this scary ass movie. Although it's not. The library scene is objectively scary. It is objectively yeah. scary. And I'll, I'll blow a fun fact for you because. I'm sure there's tons. Way too many. Yeah, I yeah. had to just cut it down. I'm not going to get to all of them. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, we could do an hour and a half on just the fun facts. I'm sure. You could. And I would highly recommend if you are a super Ghostbusters fan to go watch the movies that made us episode on Ghostbusters. Oh, it's so, so good. It is so good good and we'll get into some of that stuff but like i'm not going to get to all of it you should watch it but one of the things that they didn't super cover in that documentary that i found the other night is when they first screened this so like this movie had a smaller budget than it needed it was made in 12 months which is damn near impossible for a movie like this yeah and the studio was taking a big chance on it because the original <laughs> script was fucking terrible. And really? we'll talk about it in fun fact. The original script was unfilmable. Unfilmable, Todd. Dan Aykroyd's script is like Patreonicals level bonkers. Oh, it's, we will talk about it because it is Blavatskyan occultism. Like it is that <laughs> crazy. And and I'm not joking. There is hollow earth shit in there. What? Yeah, like. Yes, dude. It is fucking nuts. I love it. So his script is unfilmable. So in 12 months, they rewrite the script, shoot this whole movie, do all the post-production, and then they screen it for 200 people at the studio because they're just like trying to justify getting it out and distributed in time. And that screening didn't have any of the special effects except the library scene. That was like the only one they'd been able to get done in time. And so that one is like the first glance that people get at like what the effects will be like in this movie later on. I think it's probably the best of them too. It is, and it sells the rest of the movie essentially Mm -hmm. for them. It's got big, large Marge energy, which that's another movie that I love (laughs) that I actually have an emotional attachment to is Pee-wee's Big Adventure. But it's got that same kind of like, it's definitely earlier claymation-y kind of weirdness, but it's still effective, I would say. I I would say even though the, the effects don't hold up as well as we thought uh, I would say in this movie no. it doesn't matter it's kind of like when we were watching like the mummy where you're like the effects are bad but I don't care I love it yeah like it's kind of in that camp for me so I think what makes Ghostbusters like we talked about earlier like special is that like they take the concept so seriously and yeah. Bill yeah. Murray's character makes a lot of jokes but the everyone else in the film is just like this is my life yeah i don't understand why sigourney weaver has any sort of attraction to bill murray it is unfathomable (laughs) to me because i would be scared of him to be honest after the first time he was in my apartment i would be scared of him he would be a predator to me their relationship is awful i mean i I guess it's good that in every sequel they have split up i mean that's good for me i feel like i like that for her i mean they're not ever really dating she kisses him at the end of this because he saved her life yeah that's a trauma bond page that's fine that's that's textbook <laughs> you just came out of a dog yeah absolutely that's like if you go to like an exterminator's office and be like hey we have cockroaches can you come take care of them and then mm. one of them is like yeah let's go to your house and then like hook up like that's th- yes. that's the energy bill murray brings into sigourney weaver's apartment it's bonkers yeah he's the exterminator and he's like so who else lives here with you now that i have your address and shit yeah like right yeah yeah no thank you like if you showed up outside my work i'm calling the police like it is very predatory think yes. about this think about how much society has changed bill murray was the epitome of charming yes. back when this stuff was yeah. made 
Think about how far we've come as a, as a society. A man who shows up at your house and then shows up at your work, who you've expressly like said you don't want to date. That is charming, Paige. Paige, back in the 80s and 90s, they were just happy he wasn't touching her without permission. I mean, that's true. <laughs> and I realize that this is me who just moments ago admitted undying love for a movie in which a man comes from the future and stalks a woman so that he can kill the robot that's a- attacking her and then they bone mm-hmm. it out yep, and then yep. he leaves her with the child. Like, I get that I was like, yeah, that's fine and this is wrong, but like... Uh, it's not like he came back in time with knowledge of like what turned her on. I mean, uh, or did he? I think he did, <laughs> yeah. He's like the apocalypse. Hey girl. Hey girl. No, I think the relationship stuff is like the weakest part of the movie. When you're younger, you're just like, who gives a fuck? Because like, I'm a child. Yeah. I'm like playing with Legos. I zone out during when they're talking. But as an adult, you're like, oh, <laughs> this part does not age well. It is also like almost 40 years old, too. Like, this is an old movie. This is an old movie. And the thing that I realized on this viewing, because it had been a while since I'd seen Ghostbusters, maybe a couple years, I realized that everything they say that is supposed to be scientific is completely made up like not even an attempt to be real yeah and it's bonkers where like at certain parts of the movie i'm just like i don't even know what they said and i don't need to know (laughs) but then in fun facts they were like we made up all of this i was like oh good yeah and none of that really matters like dan Aykroyd took like real occultism and real like like pseudoscience right none of it's real real but like it gets thrown out oh really that gets thrown out i'll talk about it in fun facts i like the techno babble that doesn't make any sense i love it it makes none no sense in fact a lot of it is uh, ad-libbed and improv'd at times on the set (laughs) That does not surprise me at all. I have listened to interviews with Dan Aykroyd about this movie, and it makes me not like Dan Aykroyd. So I would say if you love this movie, (laughs) don't go listen to interviews of him talking about it, especially not modern day, because he's fucking weird. Yeah, I've heard that. He He believes in all this stuff. He believes in all that. He also believes that he has potentially been abducted by UFOs and has seen multiple UFOs. Uh, He also, in one of the interviews that I've heard with him, thinks that uh, this movie is not for women. This movie? (laughs) This movie. (laughs) Like, in general, he was like, movies were so feminine at that time, and this did well because it wasn't for women. I was like, oh, what? (laughs) I find that interesting. Here's the crazy thing. That's the least bonkers thing he says in that interview. (laughs) So, like, I didn't even have time to be like, I'm sorry, you wait, what? Until he's like, and I've been abducted twice. And you're just like, wait, hold on. (laughs) Like, forget the women thing. Yeah, that's a little heartbreaking. One, here's the thing. He doesn't meet it in a way like women shouldn't enjoy it. I guess I he tries to explain what he means. And the people interviewing him are just like, okay. (laughs) It's just like. I mean, he's a super rich dude. He probably has a bunch of weird bad takes. That's fine. Yeah. And it was one of those where I was like, even I was thinking about it as I was watching it this time. And I was just like, no, I'm a woman and I like this movie. Like, I don't (laughs) like it was right around the time that the uh, sequel with women came out, which I have my own feelings about. We don't need to get into it. We're not reviewing that movie today. But like, yeah, it was weird. I like it. weird. I feel bad for Rick Moranis. That motherfucker could not decide to like just keep a key in his pocket. Uh, there is <laughs> nothing know. wrong with locking yourself out sometimes. <laughs> you, you, it happens. Literally every time he steps out of his door, he locks himself out, though, which it's like one of the most like subtle ongoing jokes yes. in the movie. And I love that about his character. My favorite is he does it even when he's not at his own apartment. Any door he goes through, <laughs> he locks himself out. which I noticed this time around that it extended even beyond the apartment 
like when he's locked out of the restaurant. Yeah. Like he's just locked out of everywhere. As a key master, he can't get anywhere. Holy shit, he is the key master and he always forgets his fucking key. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what I mean. I'm that's like, amazing. I know this movie is good. Like a thought went into this movie, a lot of planning and great cinematography and like direct all of it's good i was you know okay cool (laughs) i love that documentary that had uh, you know movies you love because basically all movies that made us are like yeah yeah, they're like this is we didn't know it was gonna be this good it was like a miracle (laughs) yes like this movie has everything going against it as far as like it being good we could not believe it (laughs) yeah yeah they're like fuck i mean your guess was as good as ours i mean home alone was the same way they were like we had no idea it was gonna be as big as it was yeah i my favorite one was the one about aliens uh where they were just like this movie almost doesn't get made and there's like fights on set and people get fired (laughs) it's like crazy uh but anyway so this movie. movie So we start out at the New York, New York Public Library and we're kind of tracking a librarian as she pushes her cart through the library, downstairs through the stacks. She's putting books away. And as she walks down one of the aisles, books seem to move behind her without her touching anything. Yeah. Which is a very cool effect. It's very subtle, very creepy. Yeah. And as she keeps walking, she passes the card catalogs that the drawers open and all the cards fly out. That shit's so cool, too, because they like spit out of them so fast. I I don't know how they did that. I was trying to figure out, like, how do you know how they did it? I know how they did that. What you do is you put a small little mechanical rod and on the end of that rod, you have something that spins very fast and is also sort of a little sticky, not super sticky, but sticky Mm. enough to actually pick it up. Sort of like as sticky as your finger is. And then it spins super fast. And as it touches the card, it throws them up. That's why they, they go straight up where they are. Yeah. Now, here's a a tidbit for you. Uh, Have you ever seen the Tears for Fears Head Over Heels video? Uh, No, I have not. It came out right around the same time as this, and they actually do the same thing in another library. Oh, yeah? Yeah, where they, like, do the same effect. And I think it was because Ghostbusters had just come out. And it was huge. It was huge when it came out. Yeah, it was huge. I can't wait to talk about box office. (laughs) And so they're, like, tossing her. Anyway, I just think it's funny that, like, it bled into music, too. Yeah. Anyway, so the card catalog is, like, exploding, and she takes off running because, obviously, that's terrifying. Yeah. And she's running through the stacks. It's basically a maze. And then we see a glow appear, basically reflected on her face. She screams and the movie opens. You could not write a more perfect cold opening than this movie. It is great. Yeah. And it's like scary, but not like super scary. Right. You're more like, oh, my God, what happened? It like like asks questions, which I really like about the cold open. And then it cuts to something that seems to be completely unrelated. Right. Yeah. It forces you to keep watching. And I was trying to think of like, what are other movies like that, where that first like just couple minutes has you in that close? I think Indiana Jones does this perfect for all three of them. Die Hard actually does this pretty well, too. Like Ghostbusters and Die Hard take place in the same universe. Yeah, they do. Do they? Yeah, they do. I didn't know that. Yeah, the cop in the jail, he then moves out to L.A. after oh, everything goes yeah. crazy in New York. And he uh, helps John McClane at Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah. And then he goes uh, goes on to San Francisco and becomes uh, Family Matters. Yeah. Him and his family move next door to Urkel. Yeah. yeah. So if you were wondering if Family Matters is part of the Ghostbusters expanded universe, yes. It is. And so is John McClane. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, we get the Ghostbusters theme, which is super famous, but ends up resulting in lawsuits later on. We'll talk about it in fun facts. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
super lawsuits that they had to settle out of court. Um, so oh, wow. Okay. Uh, we open on NYU's Paranormal Studies Department. Yeah. Now, interesting note. Uh, because this is something that came up in Vibes as well. <laughs> Not to like bring Vibes into this movie. No, bring it. One of the best movies ever, Vibes. Love it. Yeah. Terrible. A movie we've done for Romance in the Pod. <laughs> yeah, at the time and a little bit before, uh, some universities in the country and a, a few still do, although not very many, had parapsychology departments uh, usually related to some of the research from NK Ultra. So, like, that's something that kind of played into Ackroyd's original script okay. that survives okay. because there was no other way to, like, get into the story. So, like, some of the very bare bones parts of Ackroyd's script remain because they're like, well, this keeps the movie together. So, right. like, we, I guess we got to keep it. Anyway, we open on... Dr. Peter Venkman. And as they open the door, it says Venkman burn in hell on the door. <laughs> so we know that he's not very popular. Right. Uh, but he's testing extrasensory perception with flashcards. And one guy is actually just one card ahead of him every time. Yeah. Which I think is interesting where he's actually doing it. Well, and then one time he gets it absolutely right. One time he gets it absolutely right because he's like actually nervous and it makes him concentrate and get it right. Yeah. The girl is getting all of them wrong. But for every one that he gets, the other guy gets wrong, they shock him. And we do find out as he stands up to like stomp out and leave that what he was testing was the effect of negative reinforcement on ESP ability. So if his hypothesis was that negative reinforcement makes you better at it, that was accurate. Yeah. <laughs> but he is basically using it to get skeevy with a college girl. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. It's real creepy. Vagman would have been me too in recent times. Yeah, oh, oh yeah. I think so. Vagman would have been like a professor that like right now you would have like message boards or like online. It would be like, yes. don't take Vagman's class. Or do. Like if you're super <laughs> into sarcastic guys with kind of like receding hairlines, then like do take that class. Ladies. <laughs> Ladies. Uh, I do sort of think Vakeman is probably the Ghostbuster that is most like Mikey. I mean, I would hope Mikey would not be this creepy. Well, no, 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 no. I, he definitely isn't. But I mean, as far as like way more charming than he has any right to be, that's like <laughs> how I view Mikey, you know? I mean, I have been in like weird situations, like intense situations where, with work. And it's like, you know, I throw a quip out there and it's, you know, I'm like, if this was a movie, this would be funny. <laughs> But it's not, and now I have to talk to HR again. Like okay, so like so like the other like you know like the other day like there's a woman like barricaded. She was like psychotic and suicidal, barricaded in the home. There's like 20 officers around. I like walk up to the front door and like talk her out in five minutes. And I was like, all right, wrap it up, boys. And if anybody asks, I'm taking full credit for this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but if you were like, if you were exactly like Peter Bankman though, you would have been like talking her out, and you would have then asked her out on a date. Yeah. Yeah. Which is how I don't think you're like Venkman, right? <laughs> yeah, no. So it, like, you're right, a right, little right. bit like him, but not exactly like him. Right. You'd be like, if you come out, I'll buy you a steak dinner at Sizzler. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> and she's like, no, I think no. I'm going to stay in. Thank you. But, like, I'll, you know, I'll throw, I'll throw some stuff out like that, like that out, you know, every now and then. And I'm like, oh, shit. Be less like Venkman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That should be your mantra, Mikey. Be less like Venkman. <laughs> but the funny, the funny scene the whole damn movie is like, yes, Your Honor, this man has, has no dick. dick. Yeah. Yes, fantastic. It's, but honestly, Mikey, I could see you saying exactly that. <laughs> well, and we'll get to it when we when we get to it. That EPA guy 
plays that same character every time. Oh, yeah. I mean, after he gets fired from the EPA for doing what he does here, he then becomes a reporter in L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's how it connects again to the Die Hard universe. Actually, he goes back to school and becomes a professor of lasers. Yes. For real genius. Anyway, so Venkman is skeeving on this college girl. Yes. And Dan Aykroyd or Ray interrupts him and basically is like, I need the blank tape from yesterday. We've got a report of like an actual, he calls it like a full torso apparition mist. <laughs> that like, it yeah. doesn't matter. But yeah. he's just like some various typification of ghosts. We have to go and you have to come with me. And they also say that they've already sent Egon and he's gathering clues already. So he turns to the ESP girl and is like, I have to go, but I'd love to work with you some more. Are you free? And she goes, eight o'clock tonight. And he's like, you're a phenomenon. (laughs) Amazing. I love how he even says he's like, I was going to say, and then he repeats eight o'clock tonight exactly like she said it. Yeah. Which to me is like a subtle thing, but it made me laugh. I thought it was so funny. He does a lot of very small things that I think are hilarious in this movie. Yeah. Well, and I love, (laughs) I love that in this scene, he's like, people are going to resent you for your gifts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This does not have. (laughs) It was pretty great. But the other guy, he's shocked three times in this scene legitimately had the gift (laughs) yeah he's gonna go off and try to find some mythical treasure in south america with cindy lopper and thankman's responsible for what happens god if that had been jeff goldblum in a cameo i'd have lost my shit (laughs) right (laughs) anyway so they make their way to the new york public library and kind of as they're making their way we're getting conversation between them that's kind of establishing their relationship uh, they do briefly mention the mass sponge migration where they migrated a foot and a half, <laughs> yeah. which was very funny. Yeah. And they meet up with Egon at the library uh, where Egon is convinced that there's something going on. And he says, but yeah, remember that time you tried to drill a hole in your head? And he says, well, if you hadn't stopped me, that would have worked. <laughs> and I actually have a fun fact about that because I watched a weird documentary a couple like a week and some change ago. Nice. Okay. Back in the 19, the late 1960s, early 1970s, when LSD was still being studied in schools, like in research being Mm -hmm. done in universities. Yeah. There was actually one guy who theorized that trepanning or trepanation could potentially produce similar long lasting effects to LSD without having to repeatedly take LSD. And uh, a few people voluntarily underwent trepanation, including one of the women who was in the documentary who actually, uh, she participated in self-trepanation. She did it to herself. Oh, wow. Okay. And she survived. She's now in like her 70s. Uh, And so that was like a thing people were studying at the time is that if you drill a hole in your head, does it allow you some of the same extrasensory qualities that LSD seems to produce? That's so that wild. is probably why Egon tried to trepan himself. Self-trepanation. Yeah, there wow. you go. All right. Don't do that, though. Don't do that. Yeah, because you can't go back from that. No. You cannot. It is permanent. And the lady who did it seems perfectly nice, but like... I mean, who knows what she was like before? I'm not sure. <laughs> Hamilton's pharmacopoeia didn't go that deep into it. They were just like, so you drilled a hole in your own head. And she's like, yeah, and I taped it. And you're just like, wow. Oh. Yeesh. Okay. She seems like she's living her 
best life. She lives in this crazy manor in England. It's like a whole thing. Anyway, Hamilton's pharmacopoeia <laughs> if you want to learn about self-trepanation, I guess. So the librarian comes to them and is like, I hope we can clear this up quickly and quietly. Here's the woman who saw the apparition. Yeah. I love when Bill Murray, like he's talking to that main librarian guy yes. and he's walking into like the main area of the library and they see Egon like by the desk with like a microphone, like like a stethoscope almost stethoscope under yeah. the table. And he comes and like knocks on it and then smacks a book. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love when they're talking to her because it reminds me of me at work when they're like, do you have any family history of mental illness or schizophrenia yeah. or anything that... Well, my dad thought he was like the sorrow of Saint Jerome. Yeah, my uncle thought he was Saint Jerome, and he goes, "So that's a big yes." (laughs) (laughs) Which is stuff like that pops into my head at work, but you can't say it because you'll be in trouble because that's wrong. Well, and I I love the rest of the list that he goes down where he's like, "Are you using drugs or alcohol? Stimulants, caffeine? Are you menstruating?" And she's like, "What does that have to do with it?" And he's like, "Okay." (laughs) And I'm like, "Periods don't make you see ghosts, but that is a funny thing to have on that list." So, do you know? why they chose St. Jerome for that line? No. Okay. Is Saint, what's St. Jerome the patron saint of? Libraries. Ah. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. So they get a, a reading that it's moving. So they go downstairs. They go through the aisles and they see a bunch of books stacked horizontally. And my favorite is when Venkman <laughs> is like, oh, yeah, no human would stack books like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He seems totally unamused to be there. Well, he also seems like he doesn't believe in the thing he has a doctorate in, which to right. me is hilarious. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. I love that. I went to, I got this because it was the easiest degree. Well, and I also feel that like makes you like him because you have a successful podcast and you openly talk about how you don't listen to or like podcasts and you think it's a dying medium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I also, parapsychology is some serious <laughs> pseudoscience. So, like, you oh, know. Oh, yeah, Paige, you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, There's a fine line between psychology and parapsychology. Ask any <laughs> podcast self-help book or Instagram influencer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what you need to do. Ask an Instagram influencer about anything. Anyway, back to the movie. So they have seen the stack of books that could never be stacked by a human. <laughs> they smell the ghost. and they, No, he says... Do you hear that? I smell something. I love that so much. (laughs) It's so funny. Uh, They go past the card catalogs, which are all gacked up. Uh Uh-oh. And they collect (laughs) some of the ectoplasmic residue. One of my favorites is like, Vankman goes to collect it and then gets it on his hand and can't wipe it off. Like, he's trying to wipe it on books, on the wall, everywhere. It definitely looked like my high school bedroom. (laughs) I love that he's shaking his hand and then it hits him in the face and he's like, oh, 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 oh. wing stop no (laughs) i just got self-gacked yeah it's very funny and then he hands it back to egon he's like here's your mucus yeah somebody (laughs) blows their nose and you want to keep it yeah (laughs) Uh, so as they're kind of exchanging petri dishes of goop uh, a whole shelf falls over behind them yeah and they turn and look down the aisle and see a whole torso apparition and it's real and it looks like an old timey librarian yeah. so this is clearly a spirit who is stuck in their workplace which like i can't imagine a worse place oh, to end up dead gosh. forever than oh, like right? work well now i work from home so it's fine i mean a library wouldn't be too bad but like an office building would be the work because like <laughs> At least in a library, you could, like, read the books. <laughs> yeah, you're like, sometimes I feel a rush of cold near the copier. Yeah, <laughs> That sounds so terrible to me, having to read books. Well, you, I mean, it's a public library, so you can also watch people masturbate on the public internet. 
you can also rent movies. Most libraries rent movies for free, by the way. Mm-hmm. So anyway, looks like an old librarian. And they're like, what do we do? And they kind of like huddle up and they decide they have to make contact with it. So Vankman goes and tries to speak to it. And he's like, hi, I'm Peter. Where are you from originally? And just shh <laughs> is the only response he gets. Yeah. So then Ray is like, I have a plan. Stay close. And then he just goes, hey, <laughs> get her, <laughs> get her. That's what it is. Get her. And of course, it immediately turns into a skeleton and rushes towards them, and yeah. they go running out of the library. It is a jump scare and a half, too, for a kid's movie. Yeah. It scared the shit out of me as a kid, man. Yeah, for a kid's movie, definitely. So they ran away, and now they're walking back to campus. And he's like, that was your whole plan? Get her? And he's like, I was overexcited. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Um, but with the readings they've taken, they believe that they could catch and hold ghosts yeah egon does because egon's the brains of the operation yeah just like harold ramus is the brains of this script yes yeah yeah <laughs> so they make their way back to campus where the dean is essentially evicting them oh yeah and is like super happy about it because he's no yes. longer gonna have to pay out those like out of court settle sexual harassment settlements yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like they trip hand like three people last quarter <laughs> like come on so they leave and they're like well now we can't really get to mit or stanford because like we've already been thrown out of nyu like this is not going to be good and one of my favorite things is that ray says we can't go to the private sector the private sector expects results <laughs> it's them being like yeah at the university we could kind of just fuck around and look at whatever we wanted to we didn't actually have to turn anything in <laughs> but when people are paying us they would require us to turn things in so uh, they decide that they're going to go into business for themselves with the ecto containment system, which is how they're going to contain the ghosts. And they get yeah. just a personal loan. Basically, they take out a third mortgage on Ray's house at 19 <laughs> percent, which is yeah. brutal. Yeah, I think even Egon says for the first three years, the uh, interest alone is going to be $95,000, which in like yep. 84, that would be like $200,000. Right. So they decide that they need to get like a headquarters. So they find an old firehouse, which is actually a pretty cool setting. And I'm yeah. sure they build it out more in the sequels or whatever, but... That's kind of a great set piece in this movie. I love it. I have a lot of fun facts about where stuff was actually filmed because like the exteriors and outdoor shots of this movie are in one place and then everything else is somewhere else. So like I think that's still a firehouse, right? It is still a firehouse. You can still visit it. Nice. Um, you can visit in New York the exteriors of almost everything in this movie, but anything that's interior was shot in Los Angeles. So 90% oh, of this movie wow, is actually okay. shot in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's, Very cool. Okay. And I have lists of like where uh, one of the hotels they shoot in, the exterior is New York. The interior was the hotel next to my office downtown, which oh, is really interesting. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So anyway, it's a fixer upper, but Dan Aykroyd loves it so they're gonna take it meanwhile we meet sigourney weaver's character or dana is her name in this movie she gets out of a taxi with her groceries and crosses the street to her apartment as she's trying to walk to her apartment her neighbor comes out and he's clearly like kind of a busybody you get the impression that he's super into her she's not into him 
And he's also just like inundating her with information about vitamins and workouts and just trying to get her to come over for a water. It's like a whole thing. He's inviting her over for a party that she's like, oh, yeah, I'll try to stop by. <laughs> I love Rick Moranis. He's so like gooberishly charming. I don't know how to describe it, but he's so great in this movie. I've had a neighbor like this and it made me scared to live there as a lady. Oh, yeah. I think the reason I'm not scared <laughs> is because Sigourney Weaver's twice his size. Absolutely. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, so, he's like 4'11". Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I love Rick Moranis. Like, and I actually like really like him as a person too. I was sad when he left the movie business like forever. Oh, yeah. But I love why he did. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so he's talking about like how he taped this 20 minute workout and watched it on like fast forward. So we got a really good workout in 10 minutes. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this guy's ridiculous. I was laughing so hard. Well, and we find out that he's, so he's an accountant and the party he's throwing is for his accounting clients. Right. But he also tells her, you left your TV on. I tried to climb out onto the balcony to break in to turn it off, which would be super alarming to me. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, I left my TV on loud so people would think it was all of our TVs breaking. And I was like, you, that's too much. Yeah. It's too much. This is the person that like when he inevitably murders her, uh, <laughs> other people are going to be like, he seemed so nice. And she would have been like, no, I saw this coming. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, I feel like he's the kind of person who would be like, do you want to go see Blair Witch? Mm. And then like she takes four of my like, friends three, are going. Yeah. Four. Yeah. Three. She takes three other guys with her. I feel like I'm being singled out as the Rick Moranis on the podcast. And that sort of breaks my heart a little bit. But like, you're not wrong. <laughs> So it's very hurtful, though. <laughs> I know the feeling of, and she does it later in the movie, like getting near your apartment and then trying to sneak and make sure you can get into it before anyone tries to talk to you. Like, oh, yeah, I have lived that one. <laughs> like, but also, this is the first indication we get that something is wrong because she didn't leave the TV on. Right. It turned on by itself. Yeah. Or it wasn't the TV making that noise. Right. Yeah. Right. The dog in the refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. As she comes into the house, the TV is on and it's a commercial for Ghostbusters. So she turns it off. She goes into the kitchen and starts unpacking her groceries. I love that commercial, though. Can I just say that real quick? Like, Oh, it's perfectly bad. Yeah, yeah. The way they like step forward and say their line and then step back and then they wait a beat. <laughs> and then the next person steps forward and says their line and steps back. It's so, so good. terribly funny. I love it so much. But it is like a bad commercial. Yeah, it's like a bad car commercial where it's like, yeah, here at Southgate Kia. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes into the kitchen and is unpacking her groceries and the eggs start exploding and cooking on the counter, yeah. which is a very cool effect because obviously like the counter's not heated. They would have probably had to like put a hot plate under or something to cook it but then like she would have had to be careful touching it it's really cool looking it is very cool i'm not 100 percent sure how they did it no me either I, i'm assuming it's a hot plate type thing like you were talking about yeah but when the eggs explode and then land on the counter and they start cooking like the stay puff marshmallows are right next to it the lettuce are right next yeah. to, it's right next to it too and nothing is going on with those specifically so it's really well done yeah it's, cool. it's very very well done i wish my kitchen would cook food for myself <laughs> well, what I think is really interesting is when they go back to the kitchen later, the eggs are still there because she just we find out later that she just runs away at this point. It doesn't go back to her apartment until she comes back with Vinkman. Yeah. 
and he picks up one of the fried eggs on the counter and shakes it. Yeah. And it's clearly like a, a fake toy egg. Yeah. Right. But it's really he just kind of like shakes it and then slaps it back down on the counter. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very, very funny to me. I thought it was super rude that like Zool just wanted to make her a nice little breakfast and she like yeah. just <laughs> runs out of the apartment screaming. Yeah. Who's going to eat this omelet now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she opens the fridge. Uh, it's ancient Sumerian flying dogs and Zool. And she screams. <laughs> we cut to the firehouse where they're repairing the building. And Ray brings home a car. And at first I thought it was an old hearse with a siren. But it is actually an ambulance. Yeah. It's a 1959 Chrysler ambulance. I have some notes on it and fun facts. But it is a real old ambulance. So they only had one of them. Wow, really? Yeah. In later Ghostbusters, they either had to tow it around because it stopped working on the set of this movie. Oh, no. Uh, But also, they had to actually have other ones made to look like this one for later movies because they literally, for this one and the budget they had, they only had the one. That's it. So, but it is an old ambulance. They ask their assistant, essentially their their front desk lady, and he calls, no. Messages, no. Customers, no. No, Dr. Venkman. And he walks away, and then Egon climbs up out from under the desk. <laughs> yeah. Although after Venkman does tell her that she has bug eyes. Yeah. Uh, which I think is very funny. And then apologizes for it He does come back and apologize, yes. which I like. Although... The secretary lady, whatever we're going to call her, mm-hmm. the assistant lady. Janine. Yeah, Janine. She is super into Egon, and I love like how thirsty she is for him. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Janine Melnitz is the character's name. Yeah. Uh, but the actress who played her. That's Annie Potts is her name. And she's in a million things in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Well, she still is. She's in Toy Story. She's still in a million things. Yeah, she does oh, yeah, for a sure. bunch of shit. Yeah. She was in Ghostbusters Afterlife. I mean, she does a lot of stuff. Like, oh, she, is she really? Yeah, she comes back yeah it's she doesn't have a very big part but none of the original people have a very big part but they're all Mm. in it which i like so she asks egon if he has any hobbies and he says that he collects spores (laughs) mold and fungus which i I think is a great response to that he's oblivious (laughs) he totally is yeah uh so sigourney weaver comes in past the car directly to janine and she's like this is the ghostbusters office right and She's like, yeah, oh, my God, a customer. Yes, let's talk. (laughs) Hello. And so she ends up sitting down with them and she tells them about seeing Zool and the eggs cooking. And she says that was two days ago. I haven't been back to my apartment since. Uh, And they're like, do you know what it was? And she's like, if I knew I wouldn't be here, like (laughs) you're supposed to figure that out. Yeah, you're the Ghostbusters. I like that they have her like they have electrodes to her head and in various ways trying to see if she's like crazy. Like they're asking her some of those questions and. Egon's even like well she's telling the truth or at least she thinks she is right right, right. <laughs> yeah. which I sort of love and I think it helps ground it in reality that like until like ghosts are like super established in the world even they are skeptical about ghosts yes. which I yeah. really yeah. like and I really do think it helps ground it I think so too and they come up with like a couple different they spitball a few different ideas of what it could be and then they kind of set up a plan where like Ray's going to check the details of the building Egon's going to look for the name Zool. And then Venkman is like, okay, well, then I'm going to take her back and check out the apartment or check her out. Check, I mean, check, out. check, out, oh check out the apartment. Yeah. yeah. 
So they get uh. back to the apartment and he is making a whole big show of checking everything. This is where he gets creepiest. This pe- is pe- the creepiest. Oh, yeah. yeah. But this is also one of my favorite moments in the movie. And I hate saying it like <laughs> that. But like when he walks in and walks up to her piano and lifts up the key guard part and they does that. They hate that. And then he's like talking a big game. He's like, that's right. It's Peter Bankman. He's like just yelling around her apartment as if the ghost can hear him which they probably can, but he doesn't even believe ghosts exist. So it's like, right. he's yeah. just putting on a big show for Sigourney Weaver. I think it's so fucking funny. I don't know why I love it so much. Ugh. My favorite, and and I say favorite, also knowing that if I was Sigourney Weaver, I'd be like, how can I physically remove him from my apartment yeah. safely? <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, but he says, uh, he goes into the bedroom and she says, that's the bedroom. Nothing happened in there. And he goes, what a crime. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a skeezy dude, though. Like, if you look at this through, like, 2020 lenses, you're like, oh, that's not great. I hope she has a taser. That's what I was thinking. I was like... <laughs> On her. Yeah. She's going to end up the subject of a true crime documentary. <laughs> anyway, so she does tell him that she feels like he's more like a game show host. But they go into the kitchen and he sees the eggs. This is where he picks the eggs up, flops it, and just goes... <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> Flops it back down to the counter. It's a ghost egg. It's a ghost egg. And then they open the refrigerator and it's back to normal. It's just a regular fridge. There's <laughs> nothing going on there. Except there is some vintage corningware in there, but I know you don't want me to talk about it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Bill Murray in this scene, in this shot specifically, makes me laugh so hard because he makes a big show of opening the fridge and then it, there's nothing mm-hmm. in there. So he's like, oh my God, so much junk food. And then <laughs> as you see him go through the shit in her fridge, like he opens that pyro. Not Pyrex, but the vintage. It's, it's Corningware, yeah. Yeah, the vintage Corningware, and then he like, yeah. you can see him smell it, and he goes, Ugh. like he like Ugh. makes a face, like it's like it's old and rancid food. Well, it's been there for like two days, <laughs> yeah, at least, <laughs> and and that's assuming that it wasn't old before then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just like the way he's like. I'm assuming just like improving in this scene yeah. is so funny to me. He's so good in this movie, even though he yeah. is a sex pest. Yes, he is a sex pest. <laughs> and she at this point is like, great, either it's here and you can't see it or I'm crazy. Both right. of those are bad things for me. Yeah. Either way, it's bad news for her. Yeah. Either way, it's bad news. And you should definitely get out of the apartment. Yeah. And he says, I'm going to go for broke. I'm madly in love with you. Again, I think this is hilarious, but in real world stuff, that would be terrifying. Real world, I'd be like, I I grabbed a knife from the kitchen. Now you can go quietly or I can drag you out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's charming enough to almost pull it off. Now, have I said this line? Maybe. Let's not talk about it. (laughs) I knew it, Mikey. I would know that person better than yeah you yes. wouldn't have just met this. her 40 minutes ago at your office and then followed her to her house yeah, right? yeah. here's right? the thing yeah, yeah. if i'm on a date with somebody and it's going great like we're clearly both having a good time and they said i'm gonna go for broke i'm madly in love with you that's hilarious yeah because you're on a date like that's what's for sale in that interaction right but if your plumber said that while he's fixing <laughs> terrifying <the> absolutely <laughs> terrifying if the cable guy showed up and was just like well your box should be all set now but can i take care of your other box and be like i'm gonna run away you're like security there's a security code. yeah just like hello police yes the terminix man told me he wants me to have his babies uh yeah like that that's what we're dealing with so she throws him out he narrates it as it's happening, which yeah. <laughs> like she threw me out into the street. 
As if he's like talking to us. I'll know what I'll do. I'll solve this whole problem and prove to you how great I am and earn your love. And then you'll say, Peter Venkman, that's a guy who gets stuff done. I wonder what makes him tick. I wonder if he wants to know what makes me tick. I've seen this movie too many times. (laughs) I I know it like word for word. It's hard to make an entertaining episode where I just don't like say the movie, every line of the whole movie. And as he's leaving, he's like, no kiss. And that's the point at which I would have probably hit somebody if this was real life. She does hit him at this point, doesn't she? No, she just kind of pushes him out of the door. But I would have been like, yeah. you had your chance. And now I'm going to crack your skull on my door frame. <laughs> like, this is, yes. get out. Yeah. yeah. But the fact that she, like, later in this movie thinks, like, oh, I, I need to get the Ghostbusters back over here and not oh, fuck, I had to deal with this by myself because I can't call the Ghostbusters. Because that's what I would think I know, at that point. exactly. That's yeah. how terrifying Zool is. That's how terrifying <laughs> being a woman in the 80s is. I know, that's what right. I'm saying. Like, yeah. You're just like, I guess Sumerian ghosts then. In probably at the time, the most progressive place on Earth, New York. And, I mean, like... You'd be surprised. It's really not as progressive as you well, think. Well, yeah, but wouldn't it only get worse outside of it? Uh, I mean, it depends on where you are. I in guess. America, I mean, at least. I mean, it, yeah, in America, it's it's that bad pretty much everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. It still is. Like it New York's is. the only place where she could have her own apartment in New York and her own career, and people would be like, "Oh, you're a failure." Yeah, in the Midwest in the '80s, she probably would have been like, "You can't have a bank account unless your husband or father signs up with you." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but actually, I bet she makes pretty good money in New York at the time. If she plays at the Philharmonic, at least. I think she does, too, because they talk about it, yeah. When he goes to her office, her place of work, they're outside of it, and I, I don't really know the building at all, but she says another person, like her co-worker that she may be dating, is like the be- one of the best musicians in the world. So that's what made me think right. that she was at the Philharmonic. But, and they make good money, because they're like the best of the best musicians. Well, and she's a cellist. Yeah, she's a yo-yo. Yeah, yo-yo mama. Yeah, That's Ghostbusters too. <laughs> yeah, in Ghostbusters too, she has a baby. Is it Venkman's baby? From somebody else. Thank God. She has been married and divorced and has another person's baby. Yeah. That's why I Good. think they don't really date at all after this. Like, this is not God, a rom com, so. right? She still clocks Venkman as a sex pest Good. in this movie, but kisses him because he saves her life. And then it's like, that's all you get. I'm marrying the violinist from the Philharmonic. He mm. might be less creepy in the second one. I, w- I really need to do like a romantic like tracking of his actions in <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. He definitely tries to get back with her and be the daddy of oh, the new yeah. baby. Yeah. He pulls a Mikey. He's like, oh, a single mother? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, like, what? <laughs> I don't have any other defense of this. Except, hello. <laughs> Except, hello. What makes you tick? Is it me you're looking for? There's a baby in your tub, and it's filling with slime. Single mom's like a cheat sheet. Like, you just find out how she treats her kid, and you're like, oh, they're a good person or a shitty person. Like, you don't even have to, like, you don't have to deal with the bullshit. You just, like, observe how they treat their kid. That is true. If someone treats their kid very well, they're probably a good person, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Follow me for more dating tips. <laughs> or don't. Or don't. <laughs> Follow the single person on the podcast for more dating tips. <laughs> so... He gets back to the firehouse and they're talking about how she's their first and only customer. 
and he wants to draw some petty cash to take her out to dinner. A dinner that she does not want to go to, by the way. Like, there has no, been no date established. He has not asked her and doesn't, but I firmly believe if he did, she would have said no. Yeah, she would have been like, no, I have a date with a ghost. Thank you. <laughs> like, anyways, as they're eating... It looks like Chinese food, and it's the last of their petty cash. Yeah, that's my favorite joke in the whole movie, where he's like, oh, this is the last of the petty cash? Eat slower. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, eat slower. (laughs) But they get a phone call asking if they can remove a ghost and be totally discreet, and they show up at the Sedgwick Hotel. But this is their first call, and I love that they, like, lose their shit and are so happy about it. Well, and they're like, we can totally be discreet. They pull up sirens blazing. They (laughs) bust in. They're like, where's the ghost? (laughs) I love this whole, like, little vignette of them catching their first ghost, which is Slimer. And I I love Slimer. I think he's the best. Yeah. I also love Slimer. Mainly from the real Ghostbusters cartoon. Yes, though. that's yeah, what I was exactly. Say. He becomes a car- he like lives in the firehouse of the yeah. cartoon. He becomes like their uh-huh. pet, which I, I really love. And I, I mean, he's more like well, I mean, he's like their dog, right? He's like a ghost dog, but he's Slimer. he's not like a great dog. He's like he's like more like a Macy. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, because he's chaotic evil for sure. Yeah, <laughs> if you had to put him on that chart, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do think it's really interesting that he says most of the staff knows about the twelfth floor and. In both the Stanley Hotel and a couple other hotel mysteries, ghost stories, it's usually either the 12th or the 14th floor because it's actually the 13th floor. Yeah, they don't actually number it right. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of hotels skip over the number 13 for the floor. Like, they won't let it be called 13, even though it is the 13th floor. Yeah, every hotel in Vegas. So, they're on 12, probably 13, and they said that it's been bad for the last two weeks and we don't really talk about it. Now, one thing that I kind of noticed about this movie this time around, time is passing and they're not super clear about how long and when things have happened. Yeah. So, I think it's possible that as she's kind of encountering Zool, it's only a couple days, like, things have been bad at this hotel for a couple days. I think everything's kind kind of tied together, kind of this confluence of things coming out. I think it is too, yeah. And even when they walk in, the guy says... Every, like the staff here knows about the 12th floor or whatever he yeah. says, uh, but nothing's really happened in years. So like stuff has happened there before, but right. as we're getting closer to Gozer coming back, that's when like the paranormal activity starts to spike, right? The wall between the dimensions is the thinnest. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been bad for two weeks and we want to basically handle it for good quietly. Mm-hmm. And so they go to the elevator and the guy's like, what you guys in exterminators? And they're like, yeah, we were taking care of a cockroach on the 12th floor. He's like, there gotta be some cockroach because they've got like full <laughs> vacuums on their back. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, it'll bite your head off, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we find out that they basically have, un- they call them unlicensed nuclear accelerators on their on backs. Their backs. Yeah. And as they're going up in the elevator, they're like, it has occurred to me that we have not tested these yet. And then I can't remember who it is. Oh, I think it's Dan. And Ackroyd's like, turn me on. And they turn him yeah. on and it, it makes the sound that the, the proton packs make. And then they start like backing away it's from him. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then the doors open and he almost murders a cleaning lady. Yes. Like immediately. Yeah. It's uh, Dan Aykroyd and uh, Egon. Yes. Who uh, shoot at the cleaning lady. She's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they didn't clear the 12th floor, but whatever. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 
Because management. I, I love that there's like toilet paper on fire as like she they hit yes. her cart and it like explodes. I think that's well, hilarious. They like, they, they're lighting wallpaper on fire. Like yeah. they destroy Ugh. this hotel. Yeah. But they split up and they see Slimer eating off of people's like room service trays. Yeah. Uh, and they keep trying to shoot at him and they can't get him. They end up destroying parts of the wall. The carts crash. Yeah. Let's let's split up so we can cause we can cause more destruction that way. <laughs> Egon follows a dude as he walks to his room and like scans him and then pokes him because he gets like a ghost reading on him and then pokes him to make sure he's real. Yeah. I love when Slimer has got Peter Venkman like by himself at the end of the hallway and then you just see him like like running at him not running but like floating at him and then you just hear Venkman scream. I do think they do a great job of making an anthropomorphized ball of slime that is floating above the ground look like he's running. Yeah. Like, they- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of fun. You should see me jog. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh, but he essentially ghost jizzes all over Vanquish. oh yeah he gets gacked for sure you should yep. see me jog <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing while you're jogging i don't want to talk about it his mouth is full of hot dogs though. <laughs> <laughs> you got a protein up for those long jogs page yeah dude yeah run off that wing stop <laughs> Taper it ah, off ah. with some dogs. But I love when they find Peter Venkman and he's like covered in that sludge or, you know, that gag yeah. or whatever. Ectoplasm. Yeah. So yeah. funny. Yeah. And they're like, great. Save some of this. I just think it's funny because like when he touched it before, he was like so grossed out. And now he's like yeah. covered in it. He's caked in yeah. it. So they get a call that he's downstairs in one of the ballrooms, which is clearly set up for a wedding. And then yeah. they just destroy this ballroom. And like, I love how like when they're they're like in the act of destroying the ballroom, trying to capture him. Yeah. And outside, the guy who like runs the hotel or whatever is talking to the lady who like run it at the ballroom. And, she, and he's like, no, don't worry. It'll be fine. It'll be ready when it's time for the thing. And like the chandeliers broken, like the tables are the all chandeliers over the place. Broken, the walls are on fire. The tables are all over the place. The entire like food buffet is torched (laughs) i love when vankman like they're trying to like clear space in the floor for the trap and vankman's like wait wait wait! i always wanted to do this and he like takes (laughs) the yeah he like takes the uh tablecloth and yanks it and everything falls except for the flowers and he goes and the flowers are still standing (laughs) (laughs) he like takes it as a big win it's so funny to me I mean, that, that, like again, that's what the, the movie works. Like he's the jokester; he yeah. makes all the jokes. But the things that the other two that that Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis reacted to, are like deadpan, like him poking yeah. the guy, are just as funny. Yeah, that's why Egon is so many people's favorite is because he's so deadpan and serious about everything in this movie and that in and of itself is funny Mm -hmm. so they manage to trap Slimer but it's their first time getting like a containment stream and then opening the trap they're kind of like refining their (laughs) method I do like that they've shot up the third what is the 13th floor really right Right. and then they've gone down to the ballroom and they've shot a few times and then Bankman's like oh shit I should have told you don't cross the streams because then we all die oh yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah, Egon says that, sorry. I just love that he's like, oh yeah, my bad. I know we've been shooting in close proximity this past 20 minutes, but like, don't cross dreams or we die. Yep. So (laughs) they do manage to trap him and then they leave and he walks out of the ballroom just like, we came, we saw, we kicked his ass. Like the least (laughs) discreet. Uh, And they tell them they're like okay that's going to be like 4,000 with an additional thousand so for like 5,000 and I'm just like not counting the repairs that are going to have to happen at this hotel. 5,000 just for the service probably like 
10 or 15 for the repair. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But the Ghostbusters are just like telling them what their bill's going to be, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And if you adjust that for inflation, that's like $13,500 today. I mean, I'll tell you that if you have a skunk problem at your house, it's going to cost you a couple grand to get rid of skunks. So, like, this makes sense yeah. to me. I love that the guy who runs the hotel is like, $5,000? Well, I won't pay it. And they're like, okay, cool. We'll just let him go. It's fine. And they, like, go back <laughs> yeah, we'll put the back. And he's like, okay, 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 fine. So funny. So, at this point, we get kind of a montage of, like, ghost fever. Grips New York. Yeah. It's basically, like, a series of ghost sightings. It's a young Larry King, which is upsetting. Larry King, when he was on radio, not on TV, which is... Yeah. bonkers right and uh they have somebody asking them if they've seen elvis lately we have dan Aykroyd <laughs> having dream ghost sex oh i forgot about the ghost yeah, blow job. yeah i was yeah. like whoa okay <laughs> and then we end this montage with ernie hudson interviewing for a job because yeah. they are just overworked like there is more ghost busting to go around than there are ghost busters and janine goes through like a whole list of like do you believe in lists it all out and then ends with the Loch Ness Monster and the Theory of Atlantis which is a reference to the Blavatsky and occultism that was in the original (laughs) script (laughs) because it deals with Atlantean Aryan myth and root race theory oh wow yeah we'll go into it wow okay I do love that Ernie Hudson answers with as long as there's a steady paycheck in it for me I'll believe anything you want me to I I love Winston I love Winston as a character because he's He's just like a working dude. He's like, I'll do whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah, like Beats working at Wendy's. He's the only celebrity I met in real life where I got like starstruck. Oh, my God. That's so that's adorable. Fair. He was wearing the costume. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would have lost my mind. I was like, uh, uh, I was once uh, with someone and they ran into Richie Sambora, who is the guitarist from Bon Jovi. I, and yes. that person cried. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> it's not even Bon Jovi, man. It's Richie Sambora. It's the guy who sang the background vocals and wanted like it's the wanted. And you're wanted. crying for that guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're crying for that guy. Richie Sambora yeah. was super nice, though, and like hugged that person and was like, it's OK, man. I'm just like a regular dude who has a cool job is almost exactly what he said so like oh, that's I, cool. no notes for richie sambora he was super nice but like i don't know how i would handle that if someone came up and cried <laughs> at a meetup or whatever yeah it'd be weird it would be really weird <laughs> i i've met edgar wright twice and never cried so like if you met henry cavill would you cry i don't know that i would cry i don't know that i would be able to say anything i think I that's, was just so that's like, what happened to me i was just like and I was at his booth paying for an autograph <laughs> and a picture. I'm just sitting there with my mouth over like, hello. Mikey, were you like 16 at the time? Like, how old were you? I was uh, 27. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you were like an adult-ass adult. All right. Uh, <laughs> so good. <laughs> I will say in uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, I love what they did with Winston. Love what they did with Winston. Yeah, I don't want to spoil any of Afterlife, except I really do love the way they honor the original movies and the the original characters. Do I need to have seen Ghostbusters 2 to understand Afterlife? Not at all. No, but I do think you would love Ghostbusters 2 probably more than Ghostbusters (laughs) I agree. I I think it is worth your time. They find slime that they can infuse with their emotions if they do fun things or sad things and yeah. then they can spray that on people to elicit that emotion on people it's bonkers page. terrible <laughs> it's bonkers page it is bonkers it, it takes a turn and you're like okay this is not as good as the first one but like this is like, some ghost busting <laughs> richard tully gets becomes a ghostbuster yeah Anyway, 
It's great. <laughs> so Ernie Hudson's literally immediately on the job. They take him through kind of the containment and how that works and how they like put the traps in, flush the ghost and whatever. Yeah. The containment yeah. system, right? In the real Ghostbusters cartoon, they actually go into what that whole thing is. And it's really mm. cool. They have episodes inside of it. Yeah. Ugh. It's really cool. And that's the real Ghostbusters, not the Ghostbusters from Canada. That was like a ripoff of the TV uh, of the movie. <sighs> Yeah. Where they drive that little old timey car, yep. and like you thought on the TV Guy channel, you were watching the fun Ghostbusters, but no. But instead, you were pissed off. Yeah, that's why this, like the uh, the Ghostbusters cartoon, is called the real Ghostbusters because the Ghostbusters cartoon from Canada predates it. Yeah, there's there's actually uh, one that predates all of them. We'll talk about in fun facts. Oh, nice. It predates okay, cool. this movie. Okay, cool. So we cut to Sigourney Weaver is coming out of rehearsal, mm-hmm. and Vankman kind of like stalks her at work yeah but he does tell her like we have some news for you like we found the name zool it's from the hittite mesopotamians and sumerians <laughs> i like when he's like reading it and he's like oh what is that word and she goes hittites <laughs> yeah hittites <laughs> it, it reminded me <laughs> it's so funny one of my favorite scenes of 30 rock is like uh dr spashemin <laughs> <laughs> oh tracy i owe you an apology <laughs> well no, there's Tracy, I don't know how to say this. Diabetes? <laughs> and he's like, diabetes? Yeah, you could lose a foot. Could I replace it with a wheel? Yeah, but you'd have to register as a motor vehicle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Spaceman is one of my favorite reoccurring bits on that show. But yeah, when he's like, Hittites? Diabetes? Uh, so uh, they agree to meet up Thursday night at nine, which he's treating as a date. And she's like, you're going to come get the ghost. I feel like... Although she does tell her neighbor it's a date, but I think that's more to like throw him off the scent. Yes. She may be like halfway convinced. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. I thought it was to throw him off the scent too, because it's clear that yeah. Moranis wants to get some of, you know, Weaver. I get it. Like she's an attractive yeah, yeah, woman. Yeah. I get it. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, we cut back to the firehouse and the EPA is there and Janine is like, I thought you guys were going to hire more help. I've been working two weeks without a break. And <laughs> so Walter Peck from the EPA shows up and is like, yeah, can I see your containment system? Because like, I want to know the environmental impact of something like this, which by the way, legit question. Sure. Cause I was wondering the same. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was like, is this going to be one of those things where it's like pulling on the New York power grid? Like so badly. It would that, be. Like, yeah. Right. That's what I thought. Anyway. Uh, so he's like, you're going to have to come back with a court order. And so. Well, this is the eighties. So government was bad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, has it ever not not been completely? <laughs> but it was really bad then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, worse than now? <laughs> no, he means like in pop culture. Like in pop culture oh, in yeah, the yeah, 80s, yeah. It, like government was always the enemy. And now it's not necessarily because we've gone from like. A, yeah. Now the corporations are the enemies. Right. And true, the government true, true, is true, like, true. you know, defeated. But like back then it was like corporations can't function because of the government. Yeah. But then like, mm, you know, we have to yeah, deregulate yeah, yeah. anything and turn America into a post-capitalistic hellscape. Like it's laughable today that someone from the EPA would do anything to anyone. I know. When the EPA <laughs> showed up and said he was from a district of the EPA, I was like, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> got more than one guy. Yeah. It's not just like eight people right regulating all and when i say regulating i mean big air quotes it's not like eight people regulating every company ever in the u.s and not really doing anything because they're so overworked they can't really dig into anything yeah yeah we also in this scene egon basically tells them like yeah we it is a problem it's getting full we're gonna have to figure something else yeah like out but also he says don't turn off the power or it'll explode 
Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, at the top of the apartment building, a gargoyle comes to life. Yeah, and it looks like the Zool dog, right? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, 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 I would yeah. have preferred if it looked like Disney's gargoyles because shoulders, but I understand why that can't be the case. Oh, I can see where that TV show after school really did some things yeah. for you. Uh, yeah. We did not watch it frequently. <laughs> I'm aware I of it. not. Who has enough sheets? <laughs> <laughs> so Sigourney Weaver goes home. She sneaks past uh her neighbor's house but he hears her anyway and the party is in full swing and she's like well maybe i'll stop back by like i'll bring my date to your party essentially is the like detente that she gets to yeah she gets back to her apartment her phone rings it's her mom and she tells her mom that she has to go that she has a date yeah so it's a date she told her mom it's a date (sighs) she broke down she wants to know what makes him tick (laughs) now they did get super famous in a montage between their first encounter and this. That is true. Are you saying this is like a, a Grandpa Dracula situation where she's like, I better play nice to get that money? I don't know. She's probably got a lot of money herself. She's got a nice apartment. Yeah, and she's probably yeah. very well paid. Yeah. Anyway, so her kitchen door is glowing and arms come out of the chair, which is pretty great. Like, Yeah. As a kid, this scared the shit out of me. Well, and it drags her toward the kitchen, with o- which opens, and then the gargoyle stone dog is inside. Yeah. We cut across the hall to the party, and this party is bonkers. <laughs> where, like, all the jokes in this scene went over my head as a kid. Oh, yeah. But as an adult, I'm like, he's telling everyone the price of every single yes. thing at this party. I love it so but much. But then also, as people come in, he's like, this is so-and-so, and their credit score is, like, he's, like, blowing up everyone's spot as they come in. They owe 13000 on their house at 8%, so they're in, like, good shape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, oh, my God, what? So, as he's kind of inviting one last couple into the party, he puts their coats in the bedroom. I love that. And he throws them on top of, like, the gargoyle dog, yeah. Yeah, 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 like, like, so oh, shit on the coats. Like, uh, he just kind of <laughs> tosses it and he hears the growl and he's like, okay, who brought the dog? Which I'm like, you would have noticed a dog come into your house. Right? You would have like, had to have opened the door and welcomed the dog in, you idiot. And talked about what the dog's APR rate was. <laughs> and so what's going on? So... It crashes through the bedroom. The party scatters. Like, everyone runs. Yeah, there's a demon hell dog running loose in the apartment. Hell yeah, you run around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he runs out into the elevator, runs through the lobby, and as he's running, he says to the doorman, help, there's something loose in my apartment. There's a bear in my apartment. Yeah. And they're like, what did he say? And then it runs past them. It chases him into Central Park. He bangs on the windows of that cafe. They won't let him in. And he essentially gets mauled by the dog. But no one else can really see it, which I think is interesting because like we see him up against the glass and we can't see it. Exactly. I thought this was super interesting because it is only him that can see that like gargoyle dog, at least in that scene. Right. Right. Because like the party saw it. Right. I think the party saw it, too. Or at least they saw the door explode. I don't know. Everybody saw it. Except no one in the restaurant saw it. Oh, no. The restaurant saw it. They just didn't care. It was like a commentary on the 1%. No, no, no. Because through the glass, we see what the restaurant sees and there is no dog. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. Because in my childhood recollection of this scene, they saw the dog and then just didn't care. They didn't give a shit. But you clearly don't see it when it's looking through the windows outside. I think that's what they're implying. I was just like, oh, a man off the street. I have a headcanon that makes more sense. Tell me, tell me, tell me. You can't see them outside of the building. Uh But Rick Moranis can because maybe he's inside the building. Like it's coming. Or he's the key master 
Lester or because he came from inside the building and can see it. Perhaps. I, you yeah. know, it doesn't yeah. explain it, but that's as good of a headcanon as any other one. Yeah, because it is clearly not visible. Yeah. Like later. And the doormen kind of turn for it, but don't chase after it. So, yeah, I don't know. So Venkman arrives at the building. The cops are there and they just say, oh, somebody brought a dog to a party and it went crazy, but nobody can find it. Yeah. Which to me, again, suggests that it's not visible outside the building somehow. Yeah. He goes up to Dana's apartment. She answers the door. But this is when she's in that famous like orange off the shoulder gatekeeper outfit. And she's like, are you the key master? And he's like, not that I know of. And she just slams the door in his face. (laughs) And then he knocks again. And he's like, when she asks him, are you the key master? He's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, of course. So she lets him in and he's kind of asking her questions, but quickly determines that like she's not all there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. This scene also gets a little questionable at some point. This these jokes, they crack me up. This is the one that I'm like, okay, he actually maybe isn't as much of a creep. Because the second he determines that she's not functioning in this scene. She's possessed. He that she's possessed. He immediately is like, "Okay, you're gonna lie down," and then he starts asking her clinical questions. Yeah, yeah. But before that, she's like, "I want you inside." He's like, "I can't. I shouldn't. Yeah. Oh, I shouldn't. Yeah. No, 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 no. no. You have enough people inside you already." I love that line so much, Mike. It's so funny. Yep. But this is where we get the. I want to talk to Dana. There is no Dana. Only Zool. I want to talk to Dana. And then it repeats in that very creepy voice. Yeah. There is no Dana, only Zool. <laughs> I love how he goes, I bet you have a wonderful singing voice. Yeah. <laughs> and then this is where she floats off the bed. Yeah, so and, cool. And turns. And he kind of like looks underneath her and he's like, please come down. And she growls. Yeah. We cut back to Central Park, where now Rick Moranis is the key master. Mm -hmm. And my favorite is that he goes up to that horse and is like, are you the gatekeeper? And the horse is just being a horse ass horse. (laughs) And he's like, wait for the sign and all prisoners will be released. And then as he wanders away, he goes, you'll perish in flame. (laughs) So we cut to the Ghostbusters firehouse where they're dropping off Rick Moranis. The police are, which as an adult, this boggles my mind where they're like, we couldn't arrest him for anything, but Bellevue wouldn't take him. And I'm like, this is someone who is clearly displaying an alternate reality and no one will take them. It makes more sense if you work in mental health or you're just like, yeah. man, the system is terrible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but the fact that they would just drop him off at the Ghostbusters is crazy. Yeah, I do love that. Like the government, like, quote unquote, the police are like, well, I don't know what to do. Let's take him to this private company that specializes in weird shit and see if they want him. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild but they do bring him inside and they scan his head and you can kind of see oh. behind that his head scan is a gargoyle which is a very cool like tiny touch yes and like the way that it moves when he's moving like i bet that was so advanced technology for 84 for the time man yeah. it, it's so cool and it's that especially still holds up yeah yeah i love it like some of the claymation effects or maybe even rotoscoping i don't know how they did the the dog running after rick morena some of that stuff does not look great i think it has to be claymation yeah but everything else like really holds up i think um i will say i do love this scene where he's describing the past times that gozer has come yeah and he's just like, that was a great day. You would have seen then. And you're just like, what is he even saying? He's just like rambling. It's great. But Peter calls Egon 
And he's basically like, hey, so I have given Dana Barrett 30 or 300 cc's of Thorazine to kind of like knock her out. Yeah. Uh, she says she's the gatekeeper. So another thing on the tally of creepy is that he just keeps Thorazine on him. He brought it with him on a date, guys. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> Maybe it was in his car. It could have been in his car. Maybe he has like a ghost pack. Yeah, I well, I wrote this off as like he is a doctor and and he's a psycho psychologist slash parapsychologist. But they still can't prescribe meds. I, but at the same time, I'm like maybe in the past he would have had to help somebody in an emergency. I don't know. But he has displayed creepy tendencies, so there's no way to read <laughs> yes. this that's not like. Ugh, I don't love that you have that in your pocket on your way yeah. to a date. Right. I'm just hoping in his car. In, in like a doctor, like an emergency bag yeah, or emergency something. Yeah, emergency kit or something. Yeah. yeah. Possibly, yes. But so this is where Egon's like, well, if you have the gatekeeper, I have the key master. Let's each hold on to the person we have. We cut to the Ghostbusters mobile the the ghost mobile ecto one the oh the ecto one yeah yeah and this is where ernie hudson and dan Aykroyd are like talking about their different belief systems and this is actually a really interesting like i'm kind of glad they include this because they do include a section from revelation that basically describes everything that we're about to see a little bit <laughs> yeah and that's pretty funny um but everyone kind of regroups at the firehouse and the epa shows up and is trying to shut shit down because they have the police with them. They browbeat them into turning the power off. And of course, as expected, it causes an explosion and everyone basically vacates the firehouse. A column of ghost flame comes up through the roof of the firehouse. To me, that was all the ghosts that they had been capturing over however long that montage was, like escaping and then going yeah. back into haunting people of New York City, right? Right. Yeah. And as they run out, they lose track of the key master. And right. he's just like, this is it. This is the sign. And like runs. <laughs> he just like wanders off. Like they, they're so <laughs> focused on like their building exploding and what's happening that he just like walks right. away. Well, and then they get arrested. They, they, by the time they want to go look for him, they get arrested. Yeah. Yep. And we get a little montage of like all of the ghosts going back out into the world, haunted taxis and shit. We have Slimer with a mouthful of hot dogs. Which like, <laughs> Which like, I get it. Yeah. He's not using the right technique, though. He's not, like, dunking the whole hot dog in a thing of water and then downing I it. I can't watch those. Like, they're so gross to watch. But it does, like, look like he's trying to win the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Yeah. Because he's got, like, 15. And he's, he's just got, chopping like, them down. in his mouth. Yeah. yeah. He's very popular on Grinder <laughs> And TikTok. <laughs> I mean, when, sometimes when people are fresh out, you just got to get a wiener in your mouth. Like, I mean... No shame in the game. No, I believe me. I am not shaming anyone who enjoys doing that. Anyway, so hot dogs sound great. I should order hot dogs later. I bought the stuff to make chili cheese dogs today for snow. Nice. Anyway, so they end up in prison and they're reviewing the blueprints in prison. And he kind of describes like a bunch of different metals and stuff that were used in the building. And Venkman is like, so what? They don't make them the way they used to. And he's like, no, nobody ever made them like this. This is crazy. <laughs> like <laughs> no one would ever do this, but they've basically built like a ghost superconductor. And she lives in the corner penthouse of this crazy building. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, this is the where we get the line of like, she sleeps on top of her covers. Four feet on top of her covers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so we learn that Ivo Shandor, who was the architect, was a doctor who gave unnecessary surgeries and had a secret society of Gozer worshippers. And they would do rituals on top of the building, which is where all the gar- gargoyles and the plinth and everything is. And... It looks like maybe now it might actually happen. So now they have to like try and break out of prison. But before they can do that, the mayor wants to see them. Yes. As that happens, the key master makes it back to the building where he finds the gatekeeper. They make out. Can I just point out that I love, I love that Sigourney Weaver is the one that like dips him and kisses him in like the quintessential romantic man holding woman over and kissing her. It's like the opposite of that because Rick Moranis is four foot five and Sigourney Weaver is six foot one. It's so funny. I love it so much. So we cut to the mayor's office where the guy from the EPA is just like, How dare they? They exploded everything. And they basically have to explain to the mayor what's going to happen if they don't do something. And they basically are like, well, if we don't do anything, something bad could happen. And if we're right, then we'll have saved everything. And if we're wrong, no harm, no foul. Send us to jail. We don't care. We'll enjoy it. But if we're right, you will have saved the lives of millions of registered voters, which (laughs) is exactly what you want to say to someone who's a a politician. Yeah, it's perfect. Perfect. And I do love that there's like a cardinal there. And he, the cardinal's yeah, like, cardinal. I don't think the Catholic Church should take an official stance. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Bill Murray even's like, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but this is also where we get the like, we're headed for a disaster of biblical proportions. And they're yeah. listing out all of the things that happened in Revelation. And then they get to Vankman. He did as the dogs and cats living, living together. together. <laughs> it's pandemonium. Mass hysteria. Yeah. So the mayor agrees to let them take a stab at fixing this. And I don't remember how it happens, but the the EPA guy is trying to argue and they called him dickless. And the mayor's like, is this true? And he says, yes, it is true. This man has no dick. But basically in that exchange, they win against the EPA. So they get a police escort back to the firehouse. Yeah. And they get in the Ecto-1 and he just says, let's run some red lights. They make their way back through the city where everyone's like applauding for them. Like they are the heroes of New York City. Oh, yeah. As they pull up to the building, like it is very much like a parade for the Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's like police barricades and then people like are against it like it's like a rock concert and it's like Richie Sambora on stage and you're like crying because you're finally getting to meet them. So funny. So this scene is one of the reasons why this movie does get to be called Ghostbusters. I'll go over it in fun facts. But this is one of the scenes where there was a debate at one point whether or not they could use the name Ghostbusters and the movie's already shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this scene is the one where the crowd is chanting Ghostbusters and it's one of only one or two other places where people refer refer to them directly as Ghostbusters. Right, because they they filmed it with two names, right? Where they would refilm it. They only filmed it with one. They filmed it with two names. They had a sec they had an alternative name they filmed some scenes. They they had one in the script. It never got filmed. No, I think they I think they did. They only shot it with one. They at the time did not realize until the and I sh- I don't want to blow this because we're going to talk about it in fun facts because it ends up being a huge deal. Yeah, they didn't have a second name and they would have had to cut any instance of the name Ghostbusters 
Ghostbusters out of it. And this scene and the scene where Egon calls on the Ghostbusters at the end are the only two that they could not have reshot. So it put them in a difficult position where they couldn't use the other name. They they filmed some scenes with the name Ghoststoppers. Ghoststoppers, but they were able to cut all those out and they already had. No, but I mean, they shot, they had like, when they did the commercial... They're like, who are you going to call Ghost Stopper? They, they, they shot side-by-side names. Yeah, but the commercial was the one they could cut out, but they hadn't shot these two scenes with the other names. Yeah, yeah, no, they forgot. Yeah, so they couldn't cut it out. They couldn't cut them out. So it meant that they had to be Ghostbusters no matter what, but then there's a reason why they couldn't use that name. So they had to go through a legal fight to do it. We'll get to it. Okay, cool. I can't yeah. wait to hear more about that. Anyway, so it's these scenes that they don't have an alternate name for. And it's the only one that they shot with Ghostbusters is the commercial. But that's the only other time they're referred to as Ghostbusters is the commercial when Janine answers the phone yeah. is one. But that was one that they could have easily reshot. Well, and the commercial would have been easily reshot, too, because it's just exactly. the three main actors against like a right. building. Like it could have been anywhere. But principal photography in New York was shot first. Everything internal was shot after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which meant that they couldn't go back and shoot this entire external shot with hundreds of extras chanting Ghostbusters in New York. They couldn't shoot that, and then they couldn't reshoot the whole top of the building set where Egon says it. And so because they couldn't reshoot those, they had to have a legal fight and call it Ghostbusters, which is a better name. 100%. It is a much better name, yeah. But that's why, that's a huge part of why they actually fight, is just those two scenes. Awesome. So, they go to approach the building, the street opens up, and basically almost swallows them up. Well, it does, they fall down into the street. They fall in. And then the cop car almost goes in with them, but it doesn't. And then, like, whenever the earthquake or whatever is happening that's causing the street to break up stops, they climb back up, and they're like, no, we're good, it's cool! It's gonna take (laughs) more than that to stop the Ghostbusters. Yeah, Yeah, the the people on the street are, like, losing their shit again. It's so funny. My favorite scene, though, is, like, the scene after this on the stairs. Yes, where they it's, tell me when we get to floor 20, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I do yeah. love that it, it cuts immediately from them like outside getting pumped up. And they're like, yeah. we're going to do it. And then they run in the building and then they're just like slowly like trudging up the stairs. Yeah, going up the the stairs. stairs. Yeah, you're like, oh, well, they like most movies skip over this part. We're like, yes. yeah, let's yeah. get it. Well, the other thing, too, is I think it's really funny. They get to her apartment. and It's on floor 22, which is not that high. Like and like in comparison for how big that building is like looming large with the other like the rest of the skyline of new york 22 floors is nothing (laughs) like that's definitely more like 40 floors yeah but anyway they get into the hallway they find her apartment and it's just open to the air at this point like the explosion took out her apartment essentially and that shot is really cool though where we're looking outside the windows of her apartment and then the windows and like the side of the whole thing explode outward and we're just seeing Sigourney Weaver inside her apartment it was such a cool shot well and I think a lot of it's matte painting because I know they do some of the matte painting for the building too yeah probably is essentially it reveals is as her apartment exploded there's a stairway up to the roof that we don't know if she knew about it beforehand. It was behind where her fridge was. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. they go up the stairs. There's like a thunderclap as they do. <laughs> I love when they're like, hey, uh, where do these stairs go? And Bankman's like, they go up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then he walks towards the stairs first. And then the thunderclap happens. And he's like, yes. all right, why don't you guys go? Why don't you guys go yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Meanwhile, up on the roof. The gate master 
or the gatekeep key master gatekeeper, gatekeeper yeah. yeah are doing what can only be described as d's car dealership wacky inflatable arms they're yeah the wacky waiver yeah and they have like like drawn on lightning going around them <laughs> it's force lightning yeah, yeah, yeah it's like it old is. school force lightning yeah. but this is what turns them back into the gargoyle dog things Right, exactly. Uh, and so the Ghostbusters get to the top of the building and they run up to a glowing Gozer pyramid, which this pyramid section is one of the few things that I'm like, this does not hold up as well yeah. effects wise, where it's clearly <laughs> just a painting they put in. Yeah. But this is where Gozer appears in the form of a woman because it's whatever it wants to be. Oh, I thought it appeared in the form of Starman, but yeah, that's fair. It is very <laughs> Starman fighting the Ghostbusters. Yes. Uh, and they approach saying that they're designated representatives of the city and they ask that it returns <laughs> to its place of origin. And it just does not care. It basically says, are you a god? No, then die. Yeah. And shoots them with lightning. <laughs> they almost fall off a building. Fuck, I love this. I love that Winston's like, if yeah. someone asks you if you're a god, say yes, you idiot. Like, <laughs> yeah. so funny. As he is, like, literally, like, pulling all three of them off literally the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they decide that they're going to shoot at her, and they decide that the only way to make it actually count is to cross the street. Like, reverse the polarity and cross the streams to hopefully blow Gozer back to its own dimension. Yes, but not until... It asked them to choose right. the form, right? And then Venkman's like, no, no one think about anything. Everyone clear your mind. Yeah, and then clear your out of nowhere, you hear, you have chosen or something like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and he's like, what? Who chose something? And he goes through like everyone except for Dan Aykroyd. He's like, oh, I, I messed up. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. We yeah. used to toast the marshmallows. He's like, I tried to think of the most innocent symbol, the har- most harmless symbol I could think of from my childhood. Which is oh, more or man. less like the Michelin Man. It looks like the Michelin Man, but like dressed up like yeah. a sailor. And made of marshmallow. Yeah, and of well, course made of marshmallow. My yeah. favorite is when Bill Murray says, he's a sailor, he's on leave in New York, get him late and we'll have no trouble. I, and I was like, so that's... much. Because Fleet Week is like a real thing in New York City. Oh, like, yeah. It's a yep. big deal. Yep. So this is where they reverse the particle flow. They cross the streams. They say it's a slim chance they'll survive and it'll endanger us and everyone. But they do it anyway. <laughs> I love that Bankman's like, I love this plan. Let's do this plan. I'm excited plan. to be yeah. a part of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's an explosion. The clouds fade and there's marshmallow everywhere. Although it is shaving cream. Yeah. By the way. And uh, you can okay. kind of tell in the movie that that's what it is. I assumed it was supposed to be just like the melted marshmallow because we do yes. see yeah. like they do kind of blow them up a little bit. Them. Yeah, as they're crossing the streams and it does sort of cause that explosion at the doorway, yeah. like you see him like melt like it's Terminator 2, that dream sequence where she's holding on to the yeah. chain fence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just pretty graphic again, seeing his face melt. Yeah, a little. It's it's a little uh, tote from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. But my favorite thing was thinking about because I know it's shaving cream, and so I know that. And part of the reason they did that is it's really easy to wash off. Because I was thinking about it, and I was like, if you had just straight up melted marshmallow in your hair, you'd have to shave yourself bald. Like they're all bald after this. Oh yeah. Like I don't even know if the peanut butter technique will work. Oh, I never, I never thought about that. No. It, yeah. It's toasted sugar. That's like napalm. Like yeah. n- they would have like horrific burns and they'd have to shave their heads. Yeah. It'd be bad. Anyway, they help 
Sigourney Weaver and Rick Moranis break out of the gargoyles because it turns them back into stone, basically, and they help them break out of it. Well, they help Sigourney Weaver break out of it, and then they see the other dog. They see the <laughs> other dog slowly breaking away, and then Rick Moranis is like, somebody turned off the lights! Because <laughs> he's still got the head on. But so they make their way downstairs to the street, and I like what Egon is saying to Rick Moranis, where he's like, uh, thank you, you've been a participant in a major, you know, paranormal event. Event. And he's like, yeah, it felt great. And he's like, we're going to need a sample of your brain tissue. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just like watch <laughs> My favorite Rick Moranis moment in the whole movie is right at the very bottom of the building when like everyone leaves and everyone's cheering the Ghostbusters. He's like, does anybody want to talk to me? I'm an eyewitness. And no one <laughs> yeah, wants I'm to an talk eyewitness. to him. And then the fire department just <laughs> escorts him away. I think it's actually yeah. two ambulance workers because they come and put a blanket on him and then they start like yes. taking him away and he goes, I want to go in the car with them. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Uh, but this is where uh, Venkman kisses Sigourney Weaver. Yes. New York cheers for them. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the, movie. the movie. I do love that the credits is literally just them trying to like pull out of this scene in Ecto-1. It's like yeah. three minutes of credits and it's just them trying to drive away. I don't know why <laughs> I always found that bit so funny, but it is hilarious to me. Anyway, oh, so having seen the movie, having talked about the movie at length, what do you guys think? Give me some final thoughts about Ghostbusters. I mean, it's a classic from my childhood. It's a personal classic. But I mean, many people like this. It's a nostalgic movie for me, for sure. It, it's a well-written and well-structured movie, yeah. I would say. I think say. If, you, if you write a movie well enough, it can stick around for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a testament to how well this movie is written that I don't have any personal emotion connection to it. But I'm just like, no, this is a fucking good movie. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I'm surprised you don't. Like, for... People who grew up in our generation, it is like pervasive in our pop culture. Like it is. This movie is so good. It stuck around for 40 years. You know, it's it's yeah, 38 course. years old this year. As it should. Yeah. I got no no complaints. I, I fully understand why people like this yeah. and have connections to it. I just don't. Yeah, that's fair. That's Sorry. Fair. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. There are <laughs> yeah. plenty of movies that I should have like connections to that I don't. Like Donnie Darko. Like I'm of the age where I should have loved that movie and it's a terrible movie. That is not a movie you should have a personal connection yeah, with. I, a lot of people our age loved that movie when they were teenagers. They should watch it as an adult and take another look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Say. Same thing with Fight Club. I think the same thing with Fight Club. Donnie Darko is not a mainstream movie. Donnie Darko Darko was huge at the time. It would be more like The Matrix. Like, oh, I don't like, I've never, I didn't like The Matrix. I also don't have personal feelings about The Matrix. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but I uttered the dumbest sentence I've ever said in my life after seeing Matrix walking out into the parking lot. I said, I have to stay alive to see the, the rest of this trilogy. Oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, the first one is legitimately good. It's amazing. Like, yeah. Oh, the first one is revolutionary. Yeah. Yes. And it's one of those things where like, when people talk about it, I'm like, yeah, it's revolutionary. I don't really care. I don't rewatch it. <laughs> but like, yeah, no, it is. I think it's because the second two just did not live up to the first one. So we sort of forget. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of yeah, like yeah. Game of Thrones. Like Game of Game Thrones is an amazing like series. Yeah. But like, because the last two seasons, really the last season were terrible. No one really talks about Game of Thrones anymore. Well, let me talk about Ghostbusters. Yeah. I loved it. It formed me as a child. I dressed up as a Ghostbuster a lot. I had all like the full proton pack. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I had I had the trap, had all the action figures, still have the firehouse in this in my house today. I love it. The Ghostbusters action figures are in my like trophy case from the 80s right there. Nice. I was very jealous of kids who could dress up as one of the Ghostbusters for Halloween and like stuff like that because I always I loved this IP so much, but we just couldn't afford that kind of stuff. As a kid, I had a blue plastic one. 
It was really good. Nice. But yeah, I, I sort of love this movie. It is looking back through 2020 goggles. Like Venkman is a little predatory and weird, but I feel like he like skirts that line so much. We're like, we gotta, we gotta watch out for that guy. We don't have enough yet. Like he's like right there though, because she tells her mom it's a date. Like she, like they've had conversations yeah. off camera that we didn't see where they were like flirty. Man, I wish we could have seen some of those conversations to make it right? less weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right? It does not give me a lot of confidence. <laughs> I feel like if it was shot today, their romance would have been very, very different. Yes. Or just adjusted a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 yeah. yeah. Honestly, a few tweaks like showing how she's sort of into it, sort of playing along would have gone a long yeah. way and help it not feel so creepy. But in that first scene where they're in her apartment, she's not playing along. You know, she's very much like, get the fuck out. In the second one, she like plays along. Yes. Right. Like, oh, I know this guy. I know his shit. We dated, you know, like that. Paige, yeah. I think you'd like the second one. I actually think has a scarier scene where like her baby gets kidnapped yes. by like a nanny and it scared the shit out of me. On the ledge? Yes. Yeah, man. Absolutely. So Paige, do you have any fun facts for us? Yeah. A lot. Well, hit us with your fun facts. Vagman, fun fact. <laughs> Again, there are so many. I do recommend watching the movies that made us because they cover a lot of it, but even they don't cover all of it. Yeah, there's just too because much. Because you could talk for hours. There's just too much. Yeah. There's too much. Well, because it has like an insane story anyway. It's got an insane story. Uh, but this is also, because it's a classic, this is one of those movies where people, because it did so well immediately, people scrambled to document everything about it. So it's one of those movies where like we have a lot of information about how it was made, what happened after, what happened during, what was happening at the time. A lot of other movies, people don't necessarily take the time to write all that stuff down. They did here. So I'm definitely not going to get to whatever your favorite fun fact about <laughs> Ghostbusters is. I'm sorry. Right. We don't have a million years. Please don't DM them to me. <laughs> I love you. I probably read it and chose not to include it for time. Right. Yeah, we get so it. So don't we worry about it. it. It's fine. So let's start with Dan Aykroyd because he writes the original script. So his great grandfather, Samuel A. Aykroyd, was actually a 19th century psychic investigator back from oh. the early spiritualism movement when oh, it was wow. all bullshit. Yeah. And he specifically conducted seances at his house in eastern Ontario okay. with uh, a man who claimed to be a medium named Walter Ashurst. They documented all of these. They wrote them all down. Wow. They kept a, a full occult library. Now, uh, Dan Aykroyd's grandfather, a man named Maurice, was an engineer for the what? Bell Telephone <laughs> Company. <laughs> uh, he's a joker. He's a toker. He tried to make his own high vibration ghost crystal radio that could contact the spirit world because that's what happened. Oh, wow. He's a ghost buster. But no, he wasn't busting them. He was actually actively trying to talk to them. And this was just him tinkering in his basement with stuff he found at work. Sure. Trying to build what is, I would say, the equivalent of like a modern day spirit box. I don't know if you watch a lot of ghost hunting shows. I don't. <laughs> but it's the stuff that they use today. So sure. he was trying to build. So Dan Aykroyd's father, Peter, kept all those books and the radio and basically gave Dan Aykroyd unfettered access to it. Now, if you don't know your early spiritualism secret schools movement history. Sure. Yeah, let's just pretend like Mikey and I don't know. I mean, we clearly, we totally do. <laughs> yeah, we of totally course, do. of course, of but course. But let's just like pretend we don't. Yeah, yeah. We, we study. 
The name of the game in a lot of spiritualism is what would come to be known as theosophy is a big one. Yeah. But this is also the same time as Aleister Crowley and, and a lot of those different secret societies that are all kind of believing a lot of the same thing. There's a lot of common thought permeating. And a lot of it has to do with both beliefs in higher planes of existence and different dimensions. Also, hollow earth theory comes about at this time, but also something called root race theory in which Aryans are considered to be a master race from space. And oh my God. they then populate the earth and you have to ascend through the ra- it's a whole thing. Oh wow. It's a lot. It's maddening to read and listen to because it's bonkers. And a bit racist? Oh, super. Yeah. Super racist. But there's also this this is a lot of research into the concept of uh, what we now would refer to as thin places, um, if you're super into yeah. cryptids and shit, uh, where essentially the veil between our world and other worlds is thin and therefore what we perceive as ghosts or even aliens may not be, but in fact may be visiting from other dimensions, etc. So all of that is what Dan Aykroyd is super into. <laughs> That's And to be honest, pretty common if you're a super UFO person yeah. to have a, a touch of it in your belief system. So when he wrote the original script, A, it took place in the future B, it was not really a comedy. Oh, oh God. C, it spent huge sections of the script explaining theosophical principles to explain the ghosts and why they were there. And he wrote it originally for himself, John Belushi and Eddie Murphy. Oh, okay. Uh, Now, the original concept actually involved dozens of Ghostbuster groups. So not just them, but like Ghostbuster teams all over the world fighting ghosts across different time and different dimensions as they worked through their ascensions along the tree of life, as well as up the potential (laughs) dimensional plane. Yeah, duh. Duh. The (laughs) Stay Puft Marshmallow Man that is the, you know, zenith of this movie uh, was in the... (laughs) First script and the act one turn. So it appears on page 20. Wow. Okay. <laughs> which meant it would have been 15 to 25 minutes into the film. Yeah. They would have been fighting the Stave Puff Marshmallow Man. And he was one of 50 monsters of that same size that appeared in the script that they would do battle with. So I want you to imagine the Stave Puff Marshmallow Man, 50 scenes like that no, in a movie. I refuse. In one movie. I mean, I grew up watching Power Rangers, but I still don't want to see that. <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> it would be good as a TV show. Yeah, where one every episode, yeah. you, you battle one, yeah. of course. Um, and then in between battling them, there was not as much discussion around the technology that they were using to bust ghosts. That was just kind of a given. Of course. In between battling those monsters, there was like heavy discussions around dimensionality, UFOs, <laughs> like all of this very deep. A kid friendly action adventure. Yeah, I get <laughs> yeah, it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> this sounds terrible. It, I've read portions. Some portions of it still exist online. Yeah, I, I think I'm pretty sure like half the week, like they go to hell at one point. They, yeah, it's wild. Oh, wow. It, it is inaccessible and unpleasant. <laughs> um, <laughs> just like Mikey. Right. Oh, oh, I'm just joking. I love you, Mikey. So <laughs> Ivan Reitman, the <laughs> the director kind of signed on to direct it on the strength of it being Dan. Act, sure. Essentially. I mean, they were already famous. Like everyone here was in SNL. Like even the people you mentioned that were in the original one were in SNL. And I think Belushi had signed on at the time. So like that had yes. big. Because he was big still name. alive. Yeah. Yes. 
So he estimated, Ivan Reitman estimated that the script as written would cost over $300 million to produce oh in 1984. money? <laughs> yes. Which, by the way, is closer to $600 million in today money. And that's even Marvel movies don't cost that money. I just checked, Paige. It's actually $805 million today. Holy shit. A billion shit. dollar movie. How much, what is the most expensive movie right now? So the most expensive films to make adjusted for inflation. The number one is Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. If you adjust for inflation, that was a $435 million Jesus. movie to make. Age of Ultron comes in next. Yeah. Yeah. And then Endgame, then Infinity War. So the next the next four, or the, sorry, the next three are Avengers movie. And then the okay, fifth that one sense. is Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Okay. And then Avatar after that? No. Does Titanic still make the list? Avatar is number 22 on the list. Damn. Okay. We've been spending money. Yeah. Titanic is tied for 45th. Damn. Okay. Yeah. I guess we haven't heard about it because back in the 90s, they would spend all that money and these movies would bomb. Yeah. yeah. Not Titanic, but I mean like. Waterworld. But some of them did, yeah. Newer Star Wars movies are probably higher on the list than Avatar uh, and stuff now. They deserve yes. the bomb. I don't want yeah. to. We, we can't, we yeah. can't <laughs> talk about that. I don't want to get negative in this episode. Yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing DC. Yep. Justice League is up there. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they made it twice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so most of the studios they shopped it to, they would get the script and be like, no. We're not, <laughs> we're not giving you $300 million because we hate this script for no money like this is <laughs> no this is bad so essentially at this time dan acker is kind of like sticking to his guns and ivan reitman is like i trust you but like we're not getting funding and you're gonna have to cut some stuff out because yeah. ain't nobody giving us 300 million dollars for this movie while this is all happening john belushi dies yeah he died in 82 yeah he was supposed to play vankman oh that would have been good too <laughs> he would have been creepier I don't know if you've seen Animal House lately. Yeah, yeah. That's okay, true. that's fair. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of one of the things that pushes Dan Aykroyd to actually kind of agree to do some rewrites. And as they're doing the rewrites, while they can't have like 50 monsters, they have to kind of come up with smaller ghosts. And so they actually designed Slimer as a memoriam to John Belushi. Oh, I Aww. love that. I did not realize yeah. that. That's great. So uh, Ivan Reitman had a relationship at the time with Columbia Pictures because they had produced Stripes just a couple years before. Yeah. And now that they kind of had Bill Murray agreeing to potentially sign on to the project, they sold it to Columbia on a one sentence pitch and basically didn't let them see the script yet. Oh, wow. They told them that it wasn't finished, uh, even though it had they had a real bad, way too long, crazy script already. <laughs> and the pitch they gave them was ghost janitors in New York. OK, I mean pretty, That's pretty similar. Yeah. yeah. And so this is in May of 1983. So they agree to make the movie basically on the promise that it'll be ready by the next summer to be out by June. Okay. And at this point they have signed Ackroyd, Murray and Ramis. And part of the reason they also agree is because Harold Remus agrees to help with rewrites. Yeah. Because he is a brilliant writer and has written a lot of other stuff. Yeah. So they ask Ivan Reitman, how much this movie is going to cost. And again, this is pitch. They're kind of hiding the fact that they have a crazy script that no one likes. And Reitman says 30 million. And he's just kind of throwing a number out there. Sure, so yeah. sorry, I, I ruined our oh, guessing no, for this. Okay. So they agree on the budget and they agree that it'll be out by June 1984, which means they have 12 months 
to completely rewrite the script, shoot the film, and do the special effects. So that forces them to immediately rewrite. So Aykroyd, Ramis, and Reitman rewrite the script together in three weeks. Oh my God. Which is crazy. That's a crazy amount. And they immediately begin prepping the shoot and scouting locations. Now, in some cases scripts and portions of the scenes were not completely written by the time they went to production. Oh, wow. So there are some things that they change along the way. It's not huge stuff, but it's some of like they might do alternate lines. They might do some improv here or there. A lot of the science lines are kind of improv that way. (laughs) So they immediately start casting now that they have basically written this script in three weeks. Sigourney Weaver at the time was just coming off alien and she wanted to do something different she wanted to basically not be pigeonholed as like a horror lady right so she basically comes into audition and doesn't speak during her audition and instead on the casting couch pretended to be one of the creepy gargoyle dogs oh, for her entire audition. I love Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> and that gets her the part. What she should have done is just walk in with the box office receipts for Alien. <laughs> then like, I'm Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I'm pretty sure the second Sigourney Weaver walked into the office, they were like, sure, but whatever you want to show us. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. They were already like, she's a shoe-in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So for the key master, Louis Tully, Dan Aykroyd actually had a different actor in mind and they offered him the role and actually got part of the way into pre-production and that was John Candy. However, oh, would have been so good. No, it would not have been good because this is right around the time when they're still writing the script. They're yeah. kind of like conscripting as many of their friends to come do it as they can. And John Candy demanded that Lewis be a stern German man with a thick accent oh. who kept dozens of dogs in his apartment. That's really specific. Yeah. It's super specific. He was immovable on it. And he wanted the character rewritten to be the starring role. Oh, no. I don't know why he was so firm on all of that. I suspect cocaine, but I don't know. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah. Instead of trying to compromise, they were just like, I don't know. Maybe Rick Moranis could do it instead. So Egon is actually named after two people that uh, Harold Ramis knew. Uh, The first name Egon was one of his uh, friends, a Hungarian exchange student in elementary school that he befriended. And then the last name Spengler comes from a German historian and philosopher, Oswald Spengler. Cool. So let's get to location. So all of the location exteriors can still be seen in New York, although they don't always look the same, but you can visit almost all of the places where they filmed outside in New York. Now, again, I mentioned kind of earlier, the way the shooting schedule worked, they only had a certain amount of weeks and a certain amount of time to film on location exterior in New York. And they didn't have time for reshoots. So if they didn't get it in that time, they couldn't get it. Okay. So due to time and shooting constraints, like 90% of this movie is actually shot in Los Angeles. So the interior of the firehouse is an abandoned fire station in Los Angeles. Uh, The rooftop temple scenes are on a set at the Columbia Pictures lot. Like a soundstage, probably. Like a soundstage. Uh, The library scene... In the exterior is filmed at the New York Public Library with the very distinctive lions, but the interior is actually shot at the Los Angeles Public Library downtown. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, similarly, the Sedgwick Hotel, they basically shot some of the exteriors in New York, but it's actually not in New York at all. 
The exterior and interior shots were at the Millennium Biltmore Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Okay. So, yeah. So they they do a lot of trying to make L.A. look like New York in this movie, mainly because when you shoot something, you have to apply for permits and schedule out how you can shoot things. Yeah. And in New York, especially, you often have to shut things down so you can shoot. And that actually does happen for some of what they shoot in um, Central Park. I'll talk about it in a second. But when you only have a year, you don't have the time to wait on those applications or plan that out. Los Angeles, A, all the stuff they shot on soundstage, you can just shoot in sound stages. But Los Angeles stuff films all the time. So you actually have a lot of, a, usually an easier time applying for permits and stuff to film here, even though it's probably more expensive to film here. But there you go. That's why that happened. Interesting. Uh, so the Ecto-1 is a 1959 Cadillac ambulance uh, outfitted with gadgets to basically help them bag ghosts, obviously. And typically, multiple vehicles would be used in a movie, even if they were slightly different years, whatever. They'd usually have multiples of them. Yeah. But they didn't have time. So they only actually make one. Uh, And everyone was pretty cautious around it because it was an older car. Um, But it kept breaking down. It breaks down at the end of them driving across the Manhattan Bridge to get back to the firehouse at the end. Um, But thankfully, this happened literally like the last day of main production in New York City. So the car is unusable after that point. They tow it around a little bit. Um, But thankfully, they had shot most of the car sequences at that point. The wide shot that shows Slimer floating around the chandelier in the hotel wasn't coming out right. So one of their effects guys spray painted a peanut green and then did it almost like a puppet in a miniature. Oh, my God. Like in front of the camera. Yeah. Uh, And because he was moving the peanut so fast, it was blurred and spinning. And so detail wasn't a factor because it's in motion. Yeah. And so they used that shot in the final (laughs) print of the film. So at a certain point in that ballroom, you're not seeing Slimer. You're seeing a green peanut, which I thought was very fun. (laughs) It works. Whatever, man. Whatever gets it done. Love it. Uh, The voice of Slimer is Ivan Reitman. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Uh, But he is also the voice of the demon voice that there is no Dana, only Zool. That is him as well. Awesome. Yep. Now... There is actually a deleted scene where they placed what sounds like it would have been Bill Murray's character from Caddyshack into Central Park, making these a shared universe. Uh, But it is ultimately cut. That's probably a good call. (laughs) That's probably wise. Yeah. Yeah. The only I mean, the reason they would have been able to do that is because Caddyshack is uh, directed and co-written by Harold Ramis. So he had the ability to do that well and stripes too yep so they cut it uh the logo the ghostbusters logo was actually designed by one of the associate producers who just liked drawing so before getting into the movie business he had been an art consultant for other movies the muppets uh john lennon and the rolling stones he's responsible for some of their logos as well awesome Uh, and for a while he was the art director for national lampoon and esquire in the 70s but by the time he gets to this movie, he had taken on an entirely new role and was just kind of drawing and doing art for fun uh, and submits what becomes the very iconic Ghostbusters logo. Yeah. So while they were filming in New York, they were filming in Central Park and on the bridge, and they actually caused a huge traffic jam, so much so that it was like actively disrupting New York at the time, and they only had a certain <laughs> amount of time to film stuff. It, they had like four days. But it was so upsetting that one New York resident 
walked down onto the set and complained directly to Dan Aykroyd that they were inconveniencing him. And the reason he was allowed to get that far onto the set is because he was science fiction author Isaac Asimov. What the (laughs) fuck? Are you serious? Dead serious. And Dan Aykroyd, understandably, uh, like based on everything we know about him talking about him today, a huge Asimov I'm fan. I'm sure, yeah. And so he basically was like, I'm so, so sorry. Huge, huge fan. And that like placated Isaac Asimov enough for him to let them finish shooting That's the amazing. Scene. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So crossing the streams didn't appear in the original script or the concept of crossing the streams. Uh, they were unsure as they entered principal photography how they were going to get the Ghostbusters out of their final scene alive because they had just kind of yada yada their way through the techno babble. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have like a concrete reason. So they came up with the idea of crossing the streams which would cause a shift. But after they made that decision, they then had to go back and shoot the foreshadowing of it in an earlier scene. So that's why it isn't introduced until that ballroom scene, because they had already shot the other scenes before they introduce it in the ballroom scene. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about why this almost doesn't get to be called Ghostbusters. Yeah. So as I mentioned, Ghostbusters is right now at this point in history, 1984, uh, being produced by Columbia Pictures. And it had gotten the green light to use everything, but no one had checked on the copyright for Ghostbusters, the name. Universal Studios across town had produced a live action TV series called Ghostbusters in the 70s. Um, it's not good. It's not famous, but they still held the property. It was only like 10, 15 years before. So they still have the held the option and the name. So they threaten legal action if the name of the movie is not changed. However, at this point, principal photography was finished and they didn't have time for reshoots to make that June date. Now, as we kind of clarified earlier, some of the interior Los Angeles scenes like the commercial and a couple other scenes where she's answering the phone, they had some alternate takes they could have used. But the principal photography in New York where they had a whole crowd chanting Ghostbusters and they had them referring to Ghostbusters on the roof and other places outside that hotel that they couldn't really replicate. So they were kind of in trouble. They needed to get the rights and they were worried that it would make them go over budget. However, the executive that had originally greenlit Ghostbusters at Columbia Pictures got hired by Universal Studios to be the new studio head. So he (laughs) allows them to use the name. That's the only reason is because the guy who originally greenlit the movie for that 30 million and mandated they have it by june he agrees to let them use the name that's so lucky yeah as of like a year or so ago i think he's still alive he talks about it in the movies that made us um how he was just like yeah i mean why not like just let him use it yeah. <laughs> like he was just like oh, I, might yeah, I mean like professional courtesy right yes especially because it was a project he had greenlit beforehand yeah i wonder if there was some sort of like backroom deal where they were like we'll give you x percentage of whatever merchandising or box office profits or whatever something like that they don't discuss that but i'm sure there was something yeah. so they had to find a theme song is one of the last things they did and fleetwood mac guitarist lindsey buckingham was approached to make a theme song for the film and he passed. So Ivan Reitman hoped that Huey Lewis and the News would take the job. So much so that he actually cut in their song, I Want a New Drug, as filler for where the theme song would eventually go. But Huey Lewis declined as well 
because he'd already agreed to contribute back in time to Back to the Future, which was happening at the same time. Yeah. And he didn't really want to do any more soundtrack work. So they then approached Ray Parker Jr., who had sung a couple other things, but wasn't nearly as famous. And he puts together the Ghostbusters theme as we know it today. Basically, who are you going to call? I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Yeah. Unfortunately, it bears a striking resemblance to Huey Lewis in the news. I want a new drug. I was going to say, it sounds a lot like Huey Lewis. Yeah. So much so that the song's publisher sued for plagiarism and the suit was settled out of court. Oh, man. So they do end up having to pay the publishers for I want a new drug because the Ghostbusters theme is so similar. Yeah. But Buster makes me feel good good so i mentioned this a little bit but uh they do hold a screening for 200 people at columbia pictures only three weeks after principal photography completed damn that's yes fast. and reitman was very terrified because not only was he unsure about the plot of the film given the struggles that they had had yeah. script wise and there had not necessarily been a movie like this yet like this is absurdism taken seriously he wasn't sure how people were going to accept it but also the only completed effect shot was the library shot and everything else was storyboards or oh, wow. like animatics or untreated footage of some of the claymation and things. Uh, but that screening actually goes surprisingly well. So even after not being able to see how it was going to look in the end, the story and performances carry it enough that it does get distribution. But that screening was potentially hit or miss where they may or may not have made that June date. Yeah. And those are your fun facts. Well, thank you for those amazing, amazing fun facts, Paige. Let's talk some box office. Now, Paige did already spoil the production budget, which was Sorry. $30 million. Yeah. No, no, no. It's fine. It was great because it fit right into your fun facts. But let's talk about how much it made in theaters. So, it premiered on June 8th, 1984, so it didn't meet that June date, and it was number one the weekend it came out. So what do you think it made in its first weekend out in the theaters? I'm going to say 20. Okay. 15? Okay, Mikey, you're closer. It was at $13.6 million. Now, let me read to you the other movies that were also in the top five. You guys ready? So it was Ghostbusters, obviously, number one. Number two was Gremlins. Yeah. <laughs> which we've also done on the podcast. Which, had, had that been in theaters since Christmas? No, Gremlins came out out that week. What? A Christmas movie in the middle of summer? Yeah, so Gremlins came out that same week and it made $12.5 million. So it was pretty close, yeah. Another movie that was pretty close to what Ghostbusters brought in that weekend was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, fucking classic. Yeah, it came out three weeks before that or this was its third week, I should say, and it still made just over $12 million. Number yeah, of four, course it did. Yeah, number four was Star Trek Three: The Search of Spock. Or search That's for Spock. also, well, it's an odd-numbered Star Trek, which is not as good as the even-numbered Star Trek, but Search for Spock is the one with Ponfar, and it is a notable, famous movie. Go ahead. Well, and it did really well, too. It did $9.6 And then Beast Street was number five. I don't really know what that is, but your top five out of all the five, four were like bangers. Anyway. Yeah. So it made $13.6 in its first weekend. This movie, it was in theaters from June 8th, 84, till September 6th. 85. Good God. Wait, 85? Over, over a year? 
Yeah, 66 weeks it was in theaters. Jeez, could you imagine? <laughs> like, that's so foreign to us now. Could you imagine a movie staying in theaters that long? Now, I, let me let me say this before we, like, gush all over it. It was in theaters for 30 weeks consecutively and then came back August of 85 and then played the next weekend as well. Uh, but it still made over a million dollars in those weekends. Anyway, so. 30 weeks is still almost a year. Yeah, that's like, nuts. That's yeah, crazy. that's a long, long time. Oh, okay. So let's talk about a few of the fun facts about it. So for its first seven weeks, it was number one in the theaters. In its eighth Dang. week, it was number two, and it was beat by Purple Rain, which I think is oh, an awesome oh. fun purple fact. Rain, yeah. Purple Rain. <laughs> I'm gonna make you do that on Romancing the Pot at some point. I love Purple Rain. Anyway, oh, no. the next weekend, its ninth weekend out, it was number one again, and then it goes to number two, and then slowly comes out of the top five but it doesn't leave the top five until it's 20th week in the theaters jesus yeah so what do you think it made and it's domestic box office run oh my god 200 million yeah i'm gonna say 300 in hopes that they like that dan Aykroyd got to be like i told you (laughs) (laughs) so it made 242 million dollars so technically mikey was closer but Paige, you guys were sort of on either side of it but if you adjust that for inflation that's almost 651 million dollars like it's just under 651 million dollars on a 30 million dollar budget it hits 240 like right. that's yeah crazy yeah. and then it made another 52.9 million dollars internationally for a total of 295.5 million dollars or almost 800 million dollars jesus yeah so this movie made a ton of money and of course spawned sequels a reboot and then another like way in the future sequel in Ghostbusters Afterlife, which if you haven't seen, it's stellar. It's really good. That's everyone has said it's really good. Yeah. But that's your box office. So do you want to hit him with that scary scale, Mikey? Yeah. Scary scale is a scale one to ten. How scary we found the film today. Our one example is this film. <laughs> and our ten <laughs> example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. Paige. Oh, this stays at one for me. Todd. Still a one, but when I saw it as a kid, it was probably like an eight. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. Uh, mine was high up there as a kid, like yeah. a, probably like a six or seven. It's definitely a one now. Yeah. I've seen like a, I've seen this movie a lot. Yeah. But it's definitely one of those movies, like Paige said, that I could just put on in the background and, and be yeah. fine with it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's our scary scale. Yeah. All right. So this week we made us watch because we all sort of collectively decided on this one. But what are we doing as we enter February for our theme and what first movie are we starting with? Yay. Okay. So uh, February is Black History Month, but it is also usually recognized in the horror community as Women in Horror Month. It is, yeah. And in the past, we've kind of done one or the other, and I thought this time it would be pretty fun if we combined them and did Black Women of Horror Month. Nice. I'm very excited for this. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Especially because once we started like thinking of options for movies, we were like, oh, this is going to be some fun shit. So we have not done any Anne Rice on this show yet. We haven't. We have not. So we're going to kick it off with Queen of the Damned, Aaliyah's Ooh. last movie. Okay. So do I need to have seen, I think it's Interview with a Vampire. Which you is do the not. Okay. Nope. You don't. Okay, cool. Don't worry about it. Even if <laughs> you don't worry about need it. to, don't even worry about it. We make nope. our own podcast. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but for those of you who are thinking ahead to listener requests, start brainstorming now. There's a lot of great options out there. Yeah. And we've tried to pick some kind of varied options for our movies. So we're excited to see what you pick. Uh, but yeah, we wanted to, to concentrate on notable performances by black actresses. In horror. I will also accept black female directors if you have a favorite for that that too and part of the reason i picked queen of the dam first i'm responsible for it is because (laughs) we haven't done we we haven't done any Anne rice but also i would say it's fun uh we're gonna have some fun with it but it is Aaliyah's last role and so it becomes kind of notable as a touchstone in history and pop culture for that so this movie i saw that i it is terrible oh yeah absolutely (laughs) excellent i can't wait but in a fun way <laughs> so your, for your homework for next week is to try to watch Queen of the Damned. And if at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. <laughs> and then listen to our episode on Queen of the Damned coming out next Monday. Oh, so Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? Yeah. Excellent. So whose review are you going to read this week? I'm going to read Riley L. Rose. Well, excellent. What does Riley L. Rose have to say? Amazing in every way. Oh, I thank you so much, Riley. After listening to every episode, this podcast is one of my all-time favorites. That's very high praise. Yeah, that is fair. There are no end to the jokes and would have it no other way. <laughs> Paige brings as many jokes as she does fun facts. True. Uh, you'll like you guys are like this. Mikey is the voice of reason in the podcast. What? what? No. Really? Wow. Punch, punch all the evil in parentheses. Oh, well, I agree with that. Yeah. And, and Todd is right in that you should just burn the house down. Every time. If you yeah. like horror, yeah, yeah, this yeah. podcast is worth the listen to. Even if you don't like horror, you should give it a listen. Would give it 10 stars if I could. Five stars. Aw, thank well, you. Thank you so mm-hmm. much, Riley, who actually, I recognize that name because they are very active in Discord. So if you want to hang out oh, with nice. us and Riley, get in that Discord. There you go. Patreon stuff. So this episode was brought to you by Nick, Nick B. B. Nick B. Fun fact. Oh yeah. Boston makes him feel good. This episode also brought to you by the letter Jeff and Jeff wants you to check out his podcast, kissing Jessica Jones, where each week they break down an episode of the Jessica Jones, Netflix, Marvel TV show. And they've actually also moved on to the agent Carter series. So check that out on any of your favorite podcast apps. Uh, this episode also brought to you by Jonathan and Jonathan wants to make you guys specifically watch some creepy spider videos. So I am going to share my screen here and show you the spider video he sent me this week. Can you guys see it? Yes. Nice. It's called Itsy Bitsy. uh, And I think it's a trailer. Yeah, it looks like it. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, I don't like this at all. Oh. Oh. Oh, Gak. (laughs) Oh. Y'all, all we got to do to get rid of this is down came the rain. Oh, down came the rain. Oh, my God. I don't like this. Oh, 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 my God. I like that noise. That's me eating wings. <laughs> I hated everything about that. That was terrifying. Uh, all right. Well, that was a, the transformation clip from the I think it's a movie called Itsy Bitsy from 2019. Oh, Jonathan, Ooh. I hate you so much for that. But thank you so much for supporting the podcast. We really appreciate it. This episode was also brought to you by Tia and Tia's teenager is driving her crazy. So how is Tia's teenager driving her crazy this week? She keeps keeping her Sumerian ghosts in the fridge and she doesn't <laughs> label them with a date for expiration. We now return you to another episode of uh, 
the Patreonicals. In Chicago. I forgot we were in Chicago. How the manatees doing? <laughs> the manatees are well. Uh, we open on Eddie feeding Dave's body parts to the manatees. Uh, Dave is alive and next to him, and he's like, I just am glad you can use my body parts from when before I would, you know, for good. And Because and he regenerates, like, yeah. Yeah, and Dave's like, Eddie, you're my best friend. And, they're, and they they hug. I do want to point out that manatees don't eat meat. They eat sea vegetation. So he's throwing like just arms of Dave at manatees. And they're just like, I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. But Eddie really wants Dave to feel useful. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's fair. Yeah. As long as Dave's consenting, that's fine. Eddie has them like really reproducing to like save them because manatees is, you know, so like the rivers of Chicago are just full of fucking manatees now. <laughs> Like I love everywhere. it. Love it. Sea creatures in this lake. That's a sweet thing. Cut to evil Matthew. He just mailed a card to Karoon that says, um, sorry you lost your baby. That's not excellent. Oh, wow. Oh, mean and punny. I love it. It's terrible. So <laughs> back in Chicago, Isaac crawls out of a manatee ridden waters and, uh, Scott and with his uh, West Ghost, they like they come down. They like, hey, what are you doing here, man? You're like a piece of shit or whatever. And like <laughs> the ghost is like, come on, man. We're trying to like do. He's like, hey, yeah, I'm still evil, but like Illuminati's coming to Chicago to kill y'all because of uh, they know about what happened in the last universe where you stopped their plan or whatever. And they're like, what? And then uh, Isaac's like, I'm gonna eat some manatees because there's like a lot of them. Yeah. So he like dives back in the water, just start taking bites out of manatees. Uh huh. Uh huh. So. Uh, <laughs> Kate uh, is meeting with Danielle and Aaron from the moon, and they're talking about making a mun uh, a memorial service. A memorial service. A oh my god! Service? Oh my god! Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> and as they do that, Joey and Nathan, the professional wrestler hitman, and Sneaky Snake bust through the wall. Sneaky Snake wraps around Kate's head and strangles her, and she passes out. Oh no! So Whoa. she can't use her te- telepathic powers. Yeah, she's like overpowered, so we have to knock her out for this. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then like Dreskel is on the walkie talkie. He's like, Yes, like kidnap the moon people. We got a whole plan here or whatever. Then you cut back to most evil Matthew, and he uh, steps on Kaylee's toe just to be mean at oh. their like little, like their apartment or whatever that they're staying in. That's rough. And like she starts crying and she's like, I don't know why I'm with you. And he's like, No one else would love you. And it's like really abusive. Wow. Like, oh, jeez. Oh, my yeah, God. He's the most evil. <laughs> so you said. So back, back to the henchmen. They're there, and they are uh, kidnapping Aaron and Danielle. And uh, Karun busts through the door, and he's got like claws, like Wolverine. He had Amy install space titanium in his hands to cut things. Space titanium? Yes, yeah, space titanium. He's like, you killed my baby, and um, he like cuts Sneaky Snake, and he cuts Nathan. And he cuts Joey, but like also they have like special wrestler power. So like one of them goes like a woo and it blows him back out the <laughs> hole and he like falls into the river. He's like Banshee, but like the sound he makes is woo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, they kidnap Danielle and Aaron and they run off, and, but they're like cut up. They're like bleeding everywhere because yeah. like, he did he did uh, cut them up pretty bad. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Jennifer with a PH, she uh, calls Kaylee and she's like, "Hey, you're in a, you're in a bad situation. You need to get out of there." So like, yeah. I was once in a bad situation. And I'm actually, you know, gonna get you out of this thing. And that's the end of the story. Oh wow. Well, I I think that when Jennifer left that bad situation, she went back to school and got her PhD. Yes, nailed it. Yes, yeah. Maybe we'll hear more about that on the next episode of uh, the, the Patreonicals. Patreonicals.
that's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd. Keep it oogie spooky. Yeah. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Busting makes me feel Bustin good. Nerds. <laughs> Podcast <laughs> makes me feel, feel good. good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs>